You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon the podcast where we go long on endurance and also mix in a little bit of zen to see what makes you tick and also to help you become a better person along the way. All right, today's episode, we have two interviews. We have Traflon Taren, the YouTuber, talking to us, talking to us, uh, us, us about what makes him tick what powers him to make YouTube videos on a regular basis, how he got started with it, why. I mean, it's really interesting that he runs a media company and he does the whole triathlon media, uh, YouTubing so that he can learn about how to do it better by doing it on himself. It's really smart, really, really cool. And we've become friends. So I'm really excited to bring you that interview. And then also right after that, we have Scott Sambucci and Scott is one of the competitors in Uberman, and he did the swim, and I think he said about half the bike, some of the bike, and then about uh, 35, 38 miles of the run, and his feet were cut up from the swim, uh, and he had to he had to give in on the uh, run, and we talk about what it was like, and there's a video of him where at the moment where he quit, and it's really cool. And we have a, a nice moment of enlightenment during that interview where uh, just we uh, come to terms with what it's like having to uh, to pull the plug on something. But it's not like he pulled the plug on a um, on a short, you know, 5K or something like that. He swam the Catalina Channel, <laughs> which is 22 miles, which ends up being like 23, 24 maybe with currents. And... Um, and saltwater with sharks starting at 4 a.m. And he tells us what it was like and uh, what was the scariest part, what, what it was like, like trying to start the Badwater 135 run just a few days later. And the whole thing, being a type A triathlete or just being uh, an organized person, you know, what's the difference? And uh, maybe it'll give you some ideas on things that you can do. It's really cool. So I'm very excited to bring you that episode. Uh, those interviews, I mean, and let's go ahead, though, and get started with the triathlon news. Here we go. Let's see. Biggest news is Jocelyn McCauley got first place at Ironman New Zealand over the weekend, and she's been on the podcast at least once before, maybe twice before, and uh, she's the next generation of triathlete. Uh, she won uh, Mallorca, Spain as well, and she's right here from College Station, Texas, and she came and visited me just as she was going pro, and we went for a jog together uh, two years ago, and uh, that's that's exactly the kind of person that we want on the podcast, somebody that's interested in us and comes to us before they get big, and uh, she won, and then... Um, I mentioned on Twitter, oh my gosh, check this out, a College Station homegrown girl just won uh, New Zealand, and she tweeted back, thanks, can I come on the show and talk about it? <laughs> so that's uh, 
big news is that we're going to have her on the podcast really soon. Um, I think she said she's going to get back in the USA on the 17th, and that would be a good time to interview. And she also said she's going to do Ironman Texas. And there's an interview with her already on I Am Talk podcast, which is a great show. Um, I think about 40, 50 minutes in it starts. So you can check that out. And oh, let's see, this is a big one about overtraining and fatigue. Steph Hansen of WITSUP, W-I-T-S-U-P, and W-I-T is Women in Triathlon, and uh, WITSUP.com, I guess. But anyway, uh, she's a big deal. Uh, she is the editor-in-chief, uh, the main person behind WITSUP, and WITSUP covers exclusively women in triathlon, uh, the pro scene, almost exclusively, but probably lots of age group or stuff too. Um, and because of her, I am able, and so many of us are able to follow the women in triathlon, and she covers them exactly like they're the men. And she'll cover an entire race and maybe mention the men once, <laughs> if that. And it, she covers them as if they were being, as if it was the regular media covering the men back before women were involved. And it's really awesome to see what it does. Um, to the women's sport, it really gets out there to all the girls, uh, young girls and, and older women out there that are interested in doing triathlon, that there really are a ton of women kicking ass, uh, back and forth racing and having fun, uh, out there doing it. And, um, just exposure for the sport, this whole thing of, you know, trying to get more coverage of the women. Uh, she didn't, uh, ask and wait and beg to get, 50 women to into Kona. She just went ahead and started covering the women as if they are the biggest deal in triathlon. And that's actually the way you should do so many things in life. Don't ask for inclusion and then, um, you know, wait for somebody to invite you. You show up and then act like what the way you want it to be. And then people will go, oh, it could be this, huh? Cool. All right, well, let's keep going with it. And that's exactly what she's done. Well, it turns out, she was running a lot of this as a one-man show, I think, and she made a blog post recently of about how um, she got uh, adrenal fatigue from training all the time and running a website, starting to sound familiar, and working a job, starting to sound really familiar, because I got adrenal fatigue too uh, a few years back, and... Um, you know, like how she knew what it was like and learning to say no, which is a big thing in Zen. Um, I read some advice the other day. When you're coming up in the world, let's say you're young um, and people offer you jobs. This is a good example. Uh, take every opportunity that, that you can. And then after a while, you have to transition and start saying no because you won't be able to take better opportunities because you're too involved with your kind of mediocre opportunities. The only ones that you could get when you were young and and inexperienced, right? Um, so to keep moving up, at first, say yes to everything. And then at some point, start saying yes only to some things. And then uh, then you get to the point where you say no <laughs> to almost everything. Once you're full of uh, everything in your schedule and your life, and you've kind of reached a point where you're you've uh, have, have some success and now you can kind of pick and choose. Now you got to get away from saying yes to everything. You got to start saying no to things. And um, I hear this a lot with celebrities uh, talking about uh, and um, 
not just celebrities, but successive, successful business folks that get hammered all the time with email, uh, people wanting advice and wanting um, free coaching, wanting uh, people wanting internships at their jobs, you know, um, all kinds of stuff. And um, at first, when somebody's starting to get famous, their claim to fame will be, I answer every email, I reply to every tweet. And then a few years later, you hear them on an interview and they said, yeah, I had, I couldn't do it anymore. It was just too much. I had to start, you know, saying no to every request, every little thing. And um, because everything's going so well, once you become successful, that uh, you start having to curate is what it's called. You have to curate um, what your theme is in life, what your, what your uh, scheme, uh, scheme sounds like you're schemy, but your... Um, your direction in life, your path in life. You can't be walking 10 different paths at once. You won't get anywhere. In fact, you'll get worse. But um, you have to start saying no. And she talks about that in her blog post a little bit about how she had to start turning down. She needed to start learning to say no. And you can't cover every woman's race. You know, you have to delegate authority, for example. You have to get other people to cover it. Um, you got to get more sleep, turn down training opportunities, turn down training camps, turn down race events, um, all kinds of stuff. I just had to email somebody and, oh my God, it killed me. I had to turn down an opportunity to be at a race um, because I just can't do it. Um, I need to be around the house right now and um, I can't uh, be doing traveling across the country to go be at a race when we need that money, actually the travel money to uh, invest in Kai's um, uh, uh, triathlon, he needs a road bike soon. He's outgrown his last one. So we need to be working on that. And our treadmill's broken. I need to buy a treadmill. And um, work is stressful right now. So taking away from work, I feel, I just feel stressed. I'm just like, oh, I can't leave. Um, and we're doing camping and mountain biking, uh, we're doing Boy Scouts, which is camping, and then mountain biking, and then triathlon season's kicking up in the gear for Kai, and it's just all too much, you know, it's just all too much, so you got to start saying, no, you know, uh, I can't, I wish I could, but I can't, so um, really interesting blog post by Steph Hansen, S-T-E-F Hansen of witsup.com about doing too much and uh, cutting back, all right, another cool thing, this is gadgety kind of stuff. Um, one of the most important things for recovery is good sleep. And I was uh, getting sick and tired of, on occasion, our bathroom light, like shining into my eyes. And But I needed a light, but I couldn't, uh, couldn't find a light that was good. Um, didn't want a night light that was going to keep me up. I don't want to trip over stuff in the morning because I get up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> and uh, I decided to... Um, I looked up in Google, what is the best color for a nightlight? And it turns out amber nightlights. So kind of like this orange color. Amber nightlights um, do not interfere with your sleep. And they light up the uh, whatever hallway or bathroom that's near your bed. So you get just enough light. You get plenty of light so you can see and not trip over stuff and break your toes banging into things. But you can also, um, it doesn't, wake you up. It's like a pleasant, soft, dark orange glow. And the, um, sorry, I got a text message <laughs> and the, um, that your sleep just is so nice without having a white nightlight or, 
you know, some other color. So it turns out amber. So I went on Amazon and I ordered two amber nightlights. I think it was two for 20 bucks or two for 10 bucks. And you just plug them into an outlet and they have a, um, a light sensor on them. So if somebody turns on a room light, they turn off. So there's one uh, really close to my bed behind the, the, um, the bedside table, bedside drawers that are next to my bed. And that causes a glow behind the bed and under the bed. Um, and then in the bathroom, which the doorway to that is like six feet from my bed, is um, we put another one in. And if you turn on the room light or you turn on the bathroom light, they both shut off. So they're only on whenever you need them on. And then when they're on, they don't. They, you can fall right asleep. It's so cool. So I want people to uh, to check that out. Let's see. On a personal, more personal note than that, because anybody can use that. Um, I've been experimenting uh, around with ketosis, which is so low carb, your body switches over to using uh, almost entirely body fat for fuel. And it seems to be going pretty well. And I'm still working on it. I do not want to give people advice on something that I'm just learning about, even though I'm having success with it. But in future episodes, I want people, uh, I want to predict um, that I may possibly be talking about it as I keep cruising along and having fun with it. And um, at some point, I want to give uh, tips on things that I know absolutely uh, do work so that people can, um, can have some fun with it. Uh, for example, I give one small tip. Um, MCT oil. Uh, coconut oil, MCT oil, if you want it to mix with your drink, I figured out, I did some research and figured out you can get it to emulsify. That way it blends with stuff like instantly. You can buy emulsified MCT oil, but you can also buy, the way they emulsify it and then charge 10 extra bucks is to put in a half a teaspoon of soy lechicin, L-E-C-I-T-C-H-I-N or something like that. Anyway, and then blend it. And then that makes the oil break apart and then be, so it doesn't, so it emulsifies. It gets mixed in with whatever you mix it with instead of just floating right to the top. And then you're getting a big nasty gulp of MCT oil. It's made from coconuts, by the way, but it's a little unpalatable. Um, so MCT oil is a, a really good solution to uh, give you uh, energy without carbs from fat instead, from, from ketones. And... Uh, yeah, so I went to a GNC and bought some soy lechison, and it turns out it's in capsules. But if you you can buy soy lechison powder, and then take your MCT oil and then mix the soy lechison with it, just a tiny little bit, with a whole lot of MCT oil, and then all of a sudden your MCT oil is emulsified, and you can save money and uh, do it yourself. That kind of stuff. And yeah, so that's all the. Um, that's all the personal thing. Oh, I've um, been running, being in ketosis. I've uh, figured out some stuff on uh, running pace and workout pace that really helps, which is stress and hormones and cortisol. I guess I'll leave that for an upcoming episode because it's really interesting. But I only recently figured that out, and I'll be uh, working on that some more. So that's enough of the Brett stuff. <laughs> that needs to be a tagline. That's enough of the Brett stuff. Oh, there was um, a tweet. Uh, a lot of times on the during the training log, where oh, in this one, this episode we got a long training log. Uh, I take you with me running for at least half an hour, maybe more. And I mention uh, all the time. I mention I'm at W to the ERK. I'm at work, so I need to get off the mic 
like I pull up in the parking lot at work and there's this trick where if you, um, in Zen to not let something bother you, you point at it and give it a name. Right. And then that way you identify that it's not you. You're not the problem. It's something else is the problem. And that way you have more control over it. You know, you're not fundamentally flawed. It's the other thing. And so the joke goes way, way back to early episodes where we say, I see you hill. Right. So you're going up a hill. You're not struggling. It's the hill that's making you struggle. And that's okay. And be okay with it. And uh, what Buddha did when he was trying to reach enlightenment uh, under the tree, uh, which is a very symbolic moment in uh, Buddhism, the history of Buddhism, is uh, Mara, which is their version of the devil, came and visited him and said, who do you think you are? You can't reach enlightenment. You're not so special. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, I don't know if he pointed, but he said, I see you, Mara. And then Mara vanished. And basically, you acknowledge the problem as a problem, but it's not. See, Mara was saying, who do you think you are? Who do you, you know, you're not good enough to do this. And then, uh, which is like, oh, your problem's internal. Um, you're flawed. Uh, you can't do this. And then Buddha turned it around and said, I see you over there, problem. And I'm fine. The problem is the problem uh, outside of me. And you stay over there and I'll be fine. And so we've turned this over time into triathlon any kind of endurance thing where you're and in life, you're struggling with something, you say that you see it. And that way you have a little bit of control over it. It's not you. That's the problem. It's the, um, it's the thing outside of you that's causing the problem and it'll pass when you get over the hill, it'll be gone. There's a downhill after the uphill. Right. But, um, another thing is to, uh, for fun to misname the thing, kind of like you're bullying it, <laughs> you're teasing it. So I don't give work. Uh, nobody wants to be at work unless you have a great, great job. And uh, But still jobs can kind of suck, even if you love it. But um, instead of giving work the respect and calling it W-O-R-K, I bully it and I tease it. And I show ownership over it that I'm deciding to show up where it is. Um, it doesn't run my life by misnaming it <laughs> and misspelling it. <laughs> Uh, and kind of teasing. I made up a nickname for it. I call it W-E-R-K. And it just sounds like this dumb, stupid, silly thing that I go do. And, um, and I'm in charge, not it, uh, of my life. And so it's W to the E-R-K is what I always say whenever I pull in the parking lot. Okay, I got to go into W to the E-R-K. And with this Jocko uh, Willing stuff where he gets up and posts a picture of his watch every morning at 4.30 in the morning, this uh, former Navy SEAL commander, um, which is really inspirational. I get up at 4.30 as well. It turns out a bunch of people that have their lives together get up at 4.30 in the morning and that way they can get stuff done. And he, um, well, somebody posted on Twitter today, it wasn't waffle bars or bears. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, who was it? It's Jason Richmond, who's at not J Rich on Twitter, at not J Rich. Um, posted <laughs> w dot e dot r dot k dot you know like periods in between it w e r k um, with a picture of his microwave clock it says four thirty three a.m. <laughs> and I'm like this is cool so I kind of want to start this as 
uh, as a meme of people posting their pictures. I guess I got to start doing it of the of a clock, their watch, or whatever. As early as you get up, it doesn't have to be four thirty, right? But just relatively early to show up that you're getting up and getting to work. You are showing up. You're in charge of it. You're calling it W E R K because you're in charge. And uh, on Twitter or Instagram, uh, tag me and also do W either W E R K or um, I uh, posted uh, and reply. Whoa! I can totally get behind this meme. Hashtag get to work and spelled work W E R K all one word. Get to work and. Um, yeah, I'd like to see this thing take off. That would be really, really funny, at least for a while. Play around with it. See uh, how it evolves. And let's see. We've got somebody's asking for the, for all kinds of, oh, whoa, holy crap. I need to get on that. All right, let's, I'm going to take care of some Zentri uh, behind the scenes business while we do this interview with Triathlon Terran up in Canada. Eh? What's that about? Can't wait to have him on. And I invited him to come down. If I do my uh, self-supported Ironman in the fall, I usually have people come do it with me down here in Texas in October, November. And uh, maybe he'll um, he'll come down and do that with me as well. That would be kind of cool. I invited him. We'll see where that goes. He may not be in that kind of mindset just yet. He may not be quite that insane yet. But you never know. All right, here we go with Triathlon Terran. <laughs> Welcome to the next level. Hey, there we go. There it goes. Right so, on. How you doing? I'm doing good. I've got this. Let's go ahead and start rolling with recording. Is that cool? Yeah, I, I got a camera over here. Do you want to say hi to the oh. Triathlon Terran gang? Am I on video? All you right. are on video. Is this going on YouTube? I got the glow going behind me, so I look mystical and and uh, oh, you, halo you look of knowledge. Yeah, you look angelic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also drinking uh, coffee with butter in it. Oh, really? Have you got into the uh, the mm -hmm. bulletproof? Yes, I think it it definitely works, but there's levels of works like how far along your body is and then also you can there's levels of experience and then that can be way off so it's easy to to think it's not working or to mess it up so with just have practice you, and stuff you get it what i've heard the studies have found is you lose your top end right well like your your it, last 20 percent it you will if you will, if you're not fat adapted, you will definitely suffer. And becoming fat adapted takes many weeks to many months. So, yeah, if you took somebody who's not been on the, the low-carb, high-fat diet for a long time and then put them in something where, you know, they got to do some hill climbs and stuff, yeah, they're going to get gassed really, really quickly. But yeah. I was just listening to an interview with um, Travis Macy on Trail Runner Nation. And Travis Macy is an ultra runner winner. Like he's an elite, um, you know, he, he said the reason he switched over to doing fat adapted was he was in like third or fourth place at the Leadville 100. <laughs> <laughs> 
If anybody knows so, what the Leadville 100 is, that's insane, you know. Yeah, yeah. so he's he's totally slow. Yeah, he <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> he um, faded back to, you know, like 10th or 12th or something like that. And he didn't like that. So he uh, went and did the fat-adapted diet. And after six months or something like that, he went and got tested and because they can put a gas mask on you that analyzes your breath. Um, yeah. And it can tell you, I've actually had this done a long time ago before I was all, way before I was all into this stuff. And he had, um, it'll tell you what percentage of you that you're burning fat versus uh, carbohydrate, right? So like when yeah. I had it done many years ago, I was a typical triathlete where I was burning 50-50. Um, and it showed like you're going to run out of carbohydrate stores and, you know, quite a few, you know, like four hours in or something like that, uh, maybe yeah. three hours in, and you are going to need um, uh, four, let's say 400 calories, four gels an hour, right, to keep up with your burn rate. And if you, it's ve that's very common burn rate for the pro athletes. They'll tell you 300 to 400 calories per hour, right? Yeah, yeah. And... Um, the risk is, is three to 400 calories per hour. Um, how much water do you need to drink with that to digest that? It's an insane amount of water or else you're going to get sick to your stomach, uh, trying to eat that amount of gels. That's usually where people start throwing up and all that stuff. Um, so Travis Macy, uh, on his test, he didn't hit the point of where he needed to take in more than like 100, 150 calories per hour, like a gel, one gel per hour, until he was going 90% of his threshold. Really? Now think about this. That in is... an Ironman, when are you going 90% of your threshold? That is like never. And they, and... Do what? Never. So he, yeah. that was after he had become fat adapted? Yes. Really? Because he just had, he was burning that much of his calories from, from his body stores? Right. Right. So you can wow. tell you become fat adapted and I can tell when it's working well for me is I get, one thing you get less hangry, you know, where like you need something to eat right now. You can actually go a little bit longer and yeah, you're hungry, but you're not starving. And when you do bonk, I was on a longer bike ride yesterday. I was doing three hours. Um, on, I was doing a hundred calories per hour of maple syrup and towards the end, the last hour I started getting kind of like started fading a little bit, but the bonk wasn't hard. It was very gentle, like just a slow tapering off of the, um, of excess energy. I was just kind of slowly fading and didn't feel bad or anything like that. Where usually if you bonk, let's say you don't eat enough during a long workout, you hit a wall. And oh, yeah. Yeah, You're it's a ditch. wall. That's why they call it the wall, right, in a marathon because you, after about two-something hours, you run out of glycogen stores and you can't eat enough sugar to fill you back up at the rate that you're burning. And so you hit the wall hard. And yeah. the, the you can change your diet to... Um, lessen that bonk and to require fewer calories while going. And I think it's actually probably better for overall health um, to be less so um, carb dependent all the time 
and have your blood sugar up and down and up and down. And then um, it's also fun <laughs> to, ex- <laughs> to experiment it's, with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was funny. There was one, uh, one year, it's probably about five or six years ago mm-hmm. that my wife sent me to a homeopath yeah. and she said, uh, you know, I, just a good thing to do to clean out your system is do a month on what she called the candida diet, which is essentially the fat adaption diet. There's no sugar, no fruit, nothing. Uh, it's basically meat and nuts and seeds. And what would it have been? Probably about 12 or 13 days in, I could start feeling my body get a little achy because I wasn't adapting yet, mm-hmm. but right. I was still training. And I went for uh, about a two-hour bike ride out in the middle of nowhere and uh, <laughs> was by myself. And <laughs> about an hour and a half in, I was in the ditch. Yeah. And I was literally four kilometers from the town I was staying in. And I'm in the ditch and I'm messaging my wife saying, if I don't come home tonight, I am four kilometers west of Morden. Please right. send help. <laughs> I'll let I'll I'll touch base with you in twenty minutes. And I was out. Like I because I was just not fat adapted, mm-hmm. uh, there was no energy system that my body could access at that day 12 period right it, oh it was incredible so the there, there's a the biggest problem okay because i've been studying this stuff for a long time and listening to other podcasts and interviews about this and you try to glean a little bit of information because there's a lot of hype around things and stuff that doesn't work because there's all these paleo and fat adapted um programs out there that is not for endurance athletes they're just talking about people that are desk jockeys and very sedentary yeah and um they said they repeatedly say um the triathletes that actually go out and do this stuff need to eat way more carbs than um somebody that's not a triathlete when they try this stuff makes and, a heck of a lot of sense yeah the but it's just much fewer of the simple uh sugars and um, much, uh, much more, you know, just the slower stuff. And yeah. And gosh, there was some there. Um, oh, and then the dehydration is a big problem. Uh, carbs uh, carry a lot of water with them, like apparently in the carbohydrate molecule or something. Um, it's like one one molecule of carb, whatever it is, glycogen, and then um, like four parts water or something like that with it so when somebody goes low carb and they um the first few pounds that they lose is actually water weight they'll be like i've been on the low carb diet one week and i've lost four pounds you haven't lost four pounds <laughs> you can ask them lost water and they've peed a lot you're like have you peed a lot for a while and they're like yeah i peed a ton and it was crazy <laughs> i just asked somebody last week about this and they're like yeah that's true i did i said it's all water weight yeah um so if you go out and exercise and you're dehydrated, you're going to end up in the ditch. Exactly like what you're talking about. Uh, my mm-hmm. first time I did it, I did it down here in Texas, probably in late summer, or early fall. So it's a billion degrees. And I made it through the ride. I did like a three hour ride or something like that. And on no fuel, right? Because I thought I knew what I was doing. And then I, um, the next day, 
I started seeing spots in front of my eyes, like the floaters in front of my eyes. And um, it was really weird. And it was a lot of them. And I just happened to have an eye doctor visit like that week. So it was like the couple days later, I was in at the eye doctor and I mentioned that. And he said, oh, that's some um, dehydration. Uh, the fluid in your eyes, you've lost fluid in your eyes. And then the, the gunk, the floater parts in your eyes are now uh, more condensed and you can see them more and you can see them floating around. It's inside, it's the fluid inside your retina because you're dehydrated is now Real. showing more of that stuff. So that's, that's a lesson to people out there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> About how dehydrated you can get because you're not carbing. Enough. Yeah. It, it's not, uh, it, I mean, it's something that, that it's interesting. I think that there's a lot of merit to, the trend of, of ketosis and low carb diets and training on it. Mm -hmm. It's some, in my experience, you gotta be a lot more careful as a triathlete. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, it's more like let, try to try to do with a little bit less of the simple sugar and then yeah, see how the, that goes for you. Yeah. I, I stopped that day that I ended up in the ditch said, no, this isn't for me. Something yeah. isn't working. I bet I got to reload. Yeah. And the next month I tried it again, but allowed myself the the low glycemic index berries and mm -hmm. uh like the i think the the low the berries are like i think the gi index is like a 60 or 70 so like right. a really low blood sugar spike allowed myself those and right. that was the only and i got through the entire month uh without any any change in training but it was uh it was a shocker that first try that i did it you know what? I remember now the what got me going because I tried it a couple times and just kept failing and failing. But then, I the last time I tried it, I also happened to not be working out the whole next week, and that's that's what allowed me to figure it out. Um, I went low carb, super low carb, but I didn't have any working out to do, so I didn't have I wasn't burning through all those extra carbs. And then I said, oh, okay, so this is possible. And then when I started working out again, I immediately felt the bad, you know, like yeah. this, this is too much. And um, so then uh, starting from zero, I added back in carbs as needed for my workouts. And then that, that taught me, oh, okay, so this is the right, the, about the right amount. You know, I, and I couldn't tell you how many grams of carbs it is a day, but it's, highly variable on how much you're working out that day. Mm -hmm. I, um, yesterday I rode, like I was saying, I rode three hours and then I also rode in the afternoon an hour and change, um, at this mountain bike thing I was at. And, um, there's a, there's another couple there that's all into the high fat, low carb stuff. And they saw me eating a cookie, you know, <laughs> and they go, they go, you're eating a cookie, you know? What's this? And I go, man, I have burned. I don't know how many calories today. Yeah. I don't eat. And also, um, if you don't put some carbs in your fluids, they're probably not going to stick as well, and you're going to dehydrate. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, you. You need carbs to be hydrated, and you need to be hydrated to absorb your carbs too. Like they yeah. they work together. Yeah. And, that whole scratch, uh, scratch labs and Osmo thing. Those, those, oh. two, uh, those two companies, you know, adding a little bit of carb, just the tiniest bit of amount of carbs to your water. Um, gosh, because I think they're doing like 50 or 100 calories per hour. 
you know? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be about right. I, I, uh, uh, went and, and met with the people at Osmo when I was, uh, down in San Francisco a couple of years ago and they explained the whole theory of why they don't go with just electrolytes. And mm-hmm. they said like, you, you can take a pure electrolyte and it's going to go through you like nothing. Yeah. Like, you might as well be taking enough carriers, basically, to to make those electrolytes stick. Right, right. Yeah, it's that whole thing where the glycogen molecule carries water with it. So yeah. that's a transport mechanism, is yeah. a, a little bit of sugar. You know, Pedialyte doesn't just have electrolytes in it, doesn't it? It doesn't have a little bit of sugar in it, I think. I think so, yeah. yeah. We've yeah. decided Speaking- so right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have you ever tried uh sos rehydrate no i don't think so so that? so that was started um I, I don't know when it was started but the premise behind it is it's like an oral iv it, the okay. formulation of it is based kind of off of pedialyte or a um uh i think it's like missionaries or or doctors that will go into third world countries where people are so dehydrated that yeah. you can't actually get an IV into them. Right. You, you can't hit a vein. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that case, there's a drink. And it, it hydrates you something like you absorb four times more water than if you drank water. Right. Yeah. That goes right and along I, with that number. Yeah, maybe that's – yeah. Uh, my wife is, a, uh, is an RN. And okay. – She's always talking about people coming in to get IVs and stuff. For whatever reason, they're trying to find a vein on somebody. And if they're dehydrated, they can't find a vein. And if you're hydrated, your veins pop out. And then she checks me after races or during races to see how hydrated I am by looking at my... You can actually look at somebody's veins and see. If they're skinny enough, you can see their veins that are popping out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that it was that... that, that much different just from a race. Well, I guess your race is you're doing days. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing like the length of well one episode of House of Cards. Yeah, I'd like to <laughs> be back on it, um, but uh, I'm overcoming an injury. But tell me a little bit about your story. Are we interviewing each other, and then we're going to both post it, or what do you want to do? Oh well, I, yeah, I thought the plan would be so. Uh, I have no audio from you right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, towards the end, I'll take the, uh, headphones off and, uh, uh, once you stop recording and don't need good audio, I'll unplug the headphones and, uh, you can say something to the camera. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, this was basically entirely for your show besides, oh, cool. uh, I'll, I'll cut this up into, uh, three minutes of very, uh, intelligent conversation. <laughs> That's what we can do. Um, but yeah, what uh, what can we talk about uh, Man, for okay. you? So we have Triathlon Taren on here on the the uh, the world famous Zentri, and the reason he is on is because he reached out to me like a month ago and asked me to be on one of his videos, and I actually I'm embarrassed to say uh, I didn't know. I follow audio podcasts like crazy, and I uh, very rarely follow anybody on YouTube. And then Taryn is a you're a YouTube triathlon personality uh, trainer. Are you are you a certified coach too? Not at all. Not all. <laughs> not not <laughs> even throw that down real quick. The littlest bit. <laughs> but I don't. I barely even play one on the internet. I um, 
I got so I went immediately and looked at your channel, and I, I subscribed after. I think my my habit is to look at like two videos because one video can be good, and the other one you're just like, oh no. But I saw two, three videos in a row that were like, this is awesome, man. I like this guy. <laughs> subscribed, and um, I'm I got to tell you, every day I think it's every day I look at my sub. I only subscribe to like five channels, and I look to see if you've put out something new, and you do. Like you put out stuff like so often it's great and um and what was really funny is i watched like three videos three days worth of videos and then the very next um the very next day you're like i'm changing the format <laughs> <laughs> yeah just when everyone likes the channel yeah. I, i'm gonna switch it up on all eight thousand of you <laughs> but uh tell us a little bit about the format and i'm gonna tell you what i dig about it okay uh, the format now or the format uh, before? Uh, both, yeah. Both? Yeah. So the, the channel started out, uh, would have been almost two years ago now. Mm -hmm. And back then I was an investment advisor. I went to business school and then went into banking. Um, eventually started a, a small investment practice in Winnipeg. It was enough to pay the bills, but uh, I was never going to be wildly successful at it because there was always this nagging thought at the back of my mind that, you know what, this isn't, this isn't me. This isn't my life. I, I love going out for bike rides and I love telling jokes and being creative. And I never was able to look at a stock portfolio and go like, yeah. that is a really creative portfolio. How can I add some color so, to this? Yeah. 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 So I, <laughs> I actually, I, I tried to add some color. Uh, I did some marketing with videos and, uh, really enjoyed that. So on the side, I said, you know what? I, I love triathlon. Mm -hmm. Why don't I just make a YouTube channel that is entirely about my passion, mm -hmm. has nothing to do with work. Uh, so I started it about, originally it was off of nutrition because I had just finished a long marathon swim and I had a heck of a time figuring out the nutrition aspects of that marathon swim. And slowly more ideas started coming out. Uh, and then it became about triathlon tips and uh, triathlon races. I started reviewing some of the products. And eventually it just kind of grew into what uh, in early January was somewhere around, I think at that point we had 120 videos out primarily about triathlon tips. Mm -hmm. And then what I was finding at, at the beginning of, or end of 2016, beginning of, of 2017, is there, I felt that there was a wall in between myself and the viewers. And it wasn't personal. It kind of felt like I was, you can see the brick background in behind me if you were on, right. if all the listeners were on Skype. Um, it was me standing in front of the brick background, giving tips, and people would receive those tips, but it wasn't conversational. It wasn't sharing my journey. It wasn't sharing the day-to-day -day isms of triathlon training. Right. Um, nobody really knew. I, I don't think anyone really knew if I was a coach, if I was not a coach, if it was for profit, if it was not for profit, like what it was. And um, I I think the dream of, of everyone is to prove our, our parents wrong and be able to play for a living. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, I want to to grow the YouTube channel as as big as it possibly can be, and 
I wanted to do that in a really heartfelt, authentic way. And just doing more and more tips Mm -hmm. upon tips upon tips wasn't as authentic as committing to doing a daily video every single day that has a little bit of tips, but is also about my journey as a triathlete. Yeah. So, so now we've, and I say we, because I now own a, uh, I sold off my investment practice, uh, started a social media advertising agency based off of what I learned doing triathlon Terran. Uh, the team that I have working with me, uh, they all pitch in to help with triathlon Terran with the shooting and the editing and the graphics. Um, we decided to February 1st, 2017, go every single day and whatever Terran's triathlon training is that day mm-hmm. that's what that's what the video is about yeah i yeah, like so it we're... man i like it, it a lot but, well, yeah. it's 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 um exactly how zentri is i wouldn't say structured but and not on purpose it just ended up that way is it's a little bit about what i'm doing it's a lot about what i'm doing what i'm learning you know from what i did right. and then and taking so and then there's tips along the way because i know you know, you only know about half of what you think. You don't know what you're doing right or wrong until you're done. So it's like about half of it. I can give tips. Like if you want to do this, this will work. If you don't want to do that, this doesn't work. And, but then, then you go try it yourself and it's a mess, you know, and (laughs) you don't feel anywhere, you know, like, like you should have, and you didn't do as well as you should have. But I learned this while I was doing it you know? Yeah, and exactly. So you share that. And then there's, there's, um, what's going on in triathlon. Um, so I'll do a little bit of the news, uh, towards the beginning. So people that want that can get that. And, um, over the years it's been just, yeah, like an audio diary of what I'm doing. And I used to make more videos. Um, but, uh, yeah, lately I've just stuck with doing the audio, uh, because video editing is, is uh, I think they're equally as as uh, time consuming. If you're listening just to audio, you can really pick up on problems, and they're tough to fix. And you have to. People are way more forgiving of audio and video. It seems, if I'm right on that, you can tell me. Um, but video, you've got all these graphical elements. You've got to get straight, and and do right. Yeah, I I find that they both have their challenges. I have tried the one thing that. Uh, Interestingly, to give you some backstory, uh, it would have been almost a year ago to the day now that I was I was in New York and I downloaded a ton of triathlon podcasts. And I am right. al- I'm almost the inverse of you that I'm more YouTube, less audio. Right. Uh, and your podcast, I was running up and down the West Side Highway listening to you interview. <laughs> um, who was it? Oh, I can't think of who it was, but I was I was listening to you, and uh, and that that got me. I mean, I was much much smaller then, but that was inspiring to say, like, you know what? There are people that literally just share their journey in triathlon, right? And and that that is content. It does yeah. it doesn't have to be yeah. <laughs> this like ESPN thirty thousand dollar production. You can just share what's going on in the day. Right. I am, because when I first got started out podcasting, there was very few people podcasting. 
you know, there was in the hundreds of us and there was nobody doing endurance. And Adam Curry was the very first ever, one of the two very first ever podcasters. And one time he took with him his microphone and just wore it while he walked through Central Park and then went into not Trump Tower, but some other office building that he was staying in, a hotel. Okay. And then went up the elevator in the hotel and you could hear like everything going on around him. And it was so fascinating. And then um, the other podcast where it gave me the idea was this other guy I used to ride around San Francisco to work and, and back and s- some other places on a bicycle and used to wear the microphone on him while he was biking. And you could hear the sounds of the city going on. And he would talk. He was really opinionated and hated cars. And it was so funny to listen to him yelling and all frustrated about cars and traffic. And, and he was very much, he wasn't bike snob NYC, but he was very much like bike snob. And he, <laughs> it was just funny, like listening to that. And I'm like, this is content. This is like you're going <laughs> along on somebody else's ride. So I haven't done it lately, but for years I did a microphone on me on my long bike rides. And sometimes I did stereo and you could hear an 18 wheeler, you know, a big rig just go by and it would scare <laughs> people would email me and say, Holy crap, that scared me to death. That was so cool. <laughs> oh, cause they yeah. would hear it coming up in behind. Yeah. Them. And motorcycles <laughs> and just, yeah, it comes up behind you and then it passes you and cops, sirens, you know, like all that stuff. And I would talk about Zen while biking along and, um, at just an easy conversational pace. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was really neat. So I got to say thank you. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Without, (laughs) without seeing those first few podcasts about, uh, how things didn't need to be this, this massive production that's scripted, you can just go and talk. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't have gotten down the, the path of, of showing scars and talking about challenges and injuries and things like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm the guy that they listen to and they go, man, I could do it better than that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, go for it. Because if you can, you're gifted because it's, it's, um, it's not the, uh, it's not, it's not the, um, the, it's not the making of the show. It's the consistency of making a show and then another show and then another show and another show that proves whether you're into it or not. You know, yeah. you're, it just be, at some point it becomes overwhelming. So you got to figure out like how to do it, um, and fit it into your life so that it doesn't, um, so many podcasts come out and YouTube channels, right. That come out yeah. that are like one, two, three episodes and they talk about how they're going to film their journey to whatever. And they get, they make three shows and then they're done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you had mentioned that, uh, you messaged me on Twitter and said, be careful not to burn yourself out. We did a lot of work in uh, January mm-hmm. to figure out how how throughout the day we can structure a storyline. Like right. just just have, have it um, not crushing in how, how uh, labor intensive the work was. Right. Um, and it was figuring out the gear that we needed, like the clips that I needed on my GoPro, the mm-hmm. setup that I, we, we needed around the pool, what times I would shoot, um, and thinking ahead to, okay, this is how a story can unfold and not making it an hour and a half of, of visual content that right. we then have to get down to eight minutes. It's how do we know 
how do we know every single, or how do I know every single morning as I'm making my, my breakfast? Okay. I need this, 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 and this, Mm -hmm. and that can get me 16 minutes of footage that that we can then trim down to a story. So knowing ahead of time back in January, how we can make a story out of every single day while still keeping it authentic, Mm -hmm. um, off the cuff, but not so labor intensive that, that we want to give up. And right. because we like, here it is long weekend and I edited a video this morning and we're going to do one. I did one yesterday and we'll do one tomorrow and another one the next day. Um, yeah. and if they're eight, eight hours every single day, it, oh my it, gosh. It, it wouldn't be, no, it's not. If it was eight hours every single day, it wouldn't be feasible. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've, we've managed to find a nice cadence that uh, that it's slowly coming from down from about five hours to two and a half or three hours a day. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I like about yours is is the fact that you put the um, what you're doing as a workout as you're working out, you put the um, what you're doing, you know, like the sets and the intensities yeah. and stuff, and and the time that you're doing it for. Um, you put it over the video of like, say you're on the bike and you're going to do three intervals of 10 minutes each at, you know, FTP, you know, race pace or however you want to phrase it. And then, um, that is so great, right? Because there's all these workouts in the world out there that you can download and all this coaching and stuff, but to see you doing it and then what you're actually doing. And, but the other thing is you're not telling people to do that, right? You're saying that that's what you're doing. And then we're yeah. going to find out what, what happens, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, end. we're going to find, find out yeah. on March 19th if it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's the race on March 19th? What are you training for? Yeah, that was, so right now we're training for, uh, Ironman, half Ironman Campeche, okay. uh, in, in Mexico on March 19th. So we'll go down there with my friend, Nicole Walker, who yeah. is, uh, uh, she was last year year's uh, north american amateur ironman champion okay so and she just turned pro yeah <laughs> not even close <laughs> we joke with with her husband and uh and my wife uh-huh. that uh like just we're just bringing taryn down as a bodyguard and like okay a you're bringing down a five foot ten <laughs> blue-eyed blonde or fly, five foot eight blue-eyed blonde kid yeah a not very intimidating and b you're going to be 20 miles ahead of me <laughs> yeah so you're gonna to have to slow down if you want me to protect you from anyone yeah uh so i'm going down with her and i'm sure she'll do something like a i don't know a 420 something mm-hmm. yeah and uh, and we'll see what i can do well this will be my second half iron man okay. and uh it'll be my my first one <clears throat> This is actually the first race that I've done having hired uh, a coach, Okay. Um, uh, a training partner of mine who also coaches Nicole Walker has been coaching me since November mm-hmm. and, uh, and having, having Pat, uh, Pat Peacock is his name as somebody who is, uh, objectively structuring my workouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I have made a lot of progress, particularly in my run. He's put down some run workouts with with treadmill paces and there was one about six weeks ago that I looked at and went, Oh my God, there, there's no way I'm going to do this. I, I'm going right. to get th- three minutes of the 20. Yeah. And I did it. And he went, yeah, yeah. I thought you'd be okay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, the big joke is, uh, 
if people ask him, what did you do to, to Taryn? He said, well, I just got him to run more than once a week. <laughs> like, what, what did the dummy think was going to happen? <laughs> of course you're going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, um, the, the, the role of a coach, there's, there's two types of athletes. There's an athlete and because with triathlon, there's actually three different sports. So it can vary within the different sports. Right. Um, but you have the athletes that don't train enough right and a coach gets them going come on you can do it right and yeah. then and it gets them to do more but it could vary per sport right so the athlete could be swimming a ton but not not running very much i was the same way like i hated running and then the coach goes no nope, you're going to run that's what's on the schedule right yeah. yeah um but then there's the other role of the coach is um somebody that uh, i coach a kid one of my son's friends and the kid is phenomenal and he he loves to train and with him it's giving him rest days and making him stop really okay and you hear that the um the the pros the top level top level pros their coaches have to tell them to not train as much i i would completely agree with that seeing the drive that nicole walker has Mm -hmm. i i don't know if uh if she didn't have that kind of drive, if she would be where she is, mm-hmm. uh, and she has drive that I would never have. Right. And, and I think her, the risk that I always see with Nicole isn't, can she go fast enough? It's, can she get there and be as fast as she is and right. be healthy? Right. Uh, whereas with me, Pat's saying, all right, run, run more than once a week. <laughs> and in, in Nicole's case, she's got all the speed in the world. Right. Um, and, and you hear stories about, yeah, a lot of pros that are, they, they have got to where they've got because of their drive. Mm. And that drive isn't sitting on their shoulder saying, Hey, you know what? Maybe you should have a rest day. The drive yeah. is sitting on their shoulder saying, go do more. Right. Yeah. And, and if you come back from a, if you come from a single sport background, which almost everybody does, your idea of the appropriate amount, you know, like how much hard to do, that's based on one sport. And then you double, almost triple the workload and then try to do that much speed work, you know, or that much intensity of yeah. med- medium hard all the time. There's, there's not, you'll get, you'll get injured, worn out, uh, um, adrenal fatigue, um, because at some point you don't have the energy to do it anymore. So now you're running just on adrenaline and caffeine to get it done. And that blows you out after like a month of that. And then, um, yeah, what was it? the injury and then adrenal, um, you just mental run, burnout, you get mental burnout, all these things, they just conspire, conspire and you do a downward spiral down and, oh, well, there's not enough rest time between the hard stuff for you to improve because, you did a kind of hard day on the bike today, and now you're doing a kind of hard day on the run tomorrow, and then not back to the bike again, you know, and then mixing in the swimming. You're not getting the rest. And yeah, but if you came from just a swimming or just a running background, you know, it's like or biking, one of the individual sports. You're going hard almost every time you go to practice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm one of the things sw- that I go ahead, go, go ahead. Oh, on swim team, it, every day we had to like drag each other out of the pool. You know, <laughs> you're just exhausted and you can't do that. And then you uh, go back at night. <laughs> I drew the line. At, I was getting burned out by the time we started doing two a day practices when I was in high school. I was like, okay, this is it. I can't do it. It's too much. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that I say on, on my channel, uh, especially a lot right now, because it's what I'm going through right now is you can, you can smash yourself for three to six months and become really fast for one race, but there's a really high likelihood that you can get injured. You might burn yourself out when you finish that race. It's been so focused on that race that you can have like post race or post departum. That be yeah, depression. like you get you be depression, post race yeah. depression, mm-hmm. um, because you've been so focused on that race. Uh, I'm a big proponent of it's the long game, yeah. and and taking it from a standpoint of okay, how can I be the fastest athlete I can be five years from now? Right. And if you start doing that, missing one workout doesn't stress you out too much. Yeah, a coach telling you you need a day off doesn't stress you out too much. But if you're focused on being fast in a three-month window, oh you gosh. might be. Yeah, you <laughs> might be really fast. Uh, that's something that I, I have to yeah. say a lot in the YouTube comments. That uh, a lot of people are worried about how can I? What tips can I get for mm-hmm. the next race? What tips can I get for the next race? Like, mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry. Just keep chipping away at it. You're going to be faster <laughs> three months from now, yeah. and then even faster six months from now. Make sure you can keep going. There's a really famous um, old Zen saying where the, the student, a new student goes to the master. It says, um, how long is it going to take for me to become enlightened? You know, like you, master. Oh. And then the master goes, oh, it's about 10 years, which is funny yeah. that this is like a, a thousand year old story. And, and still today, yeah. you know, it's like 10 years to become a, an expert. And then the student goes, what? 10 years? That's forever. What if I try really hard? About 20. Yeah, it's like 20. <laughs> yeah. Because it'll be about 20 years. And then uh, he goes, what? But I'm really smart. And I'm, you know, I've succeeded in all these other things. He's like, oh, well, then probably 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, the whole I point is to, is, is to, in Zen, for example, the whole point is to, but it's very much like triathlon, right? It's, it's such a slow build and it's to be part of the experience. You can't rush it. And if you do rush it, you're actually going to get injured and, and you're going to have setbacks that will take you longer until you finally realize there is nothing more to triathlon. There is nothing more to Zen than just being. And that's what will make you better is to quit trying to succeed in triathlon and just triathlon. Just do triathlon and then you won't, you know, get, you won't set your sights too high on something and then get injured. Or get the post iron. I've actually had the post iron man blues. I had it one time. Really? After, after a really big race, yeah. I got into a funk, but I already I'd already heard about it, so I knew what was happening. And I was like, you just gotta ride it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're you were expecting it? What No, was I wasn't it expecting after? it, but when it happened, no? I knew what it was. I was like, Oh, this sucks. <laughs> but this is what it is. Yeah. Did it happen after your your big races, the Ultraman, the the swim no. across the lake? No, it happened after um, in two thousand and seven. Uh, I got signed up with a team of podcasters and bloggers. Back then, blogging was way more big than uh, YouTubing, and they um, um, so it was a team of like six or seven of us, and we all got sponsored with bikes and um, uniforms and wetsuits and stuff like that, and. Uh, Ironman Wisconsin was the big race. And we trained for over, over nine months, between nine months and a year for Ironman Wisconsin. And then when that was over, because it was so high um, visibility, 
all of us yeah. are doing this. And, uh, and I had a big rivalry, a fun, oh, the most fun rivalry with another guy. Um, and I beat him by like three minutes. And he had beaten me at Wildflower earlier in the season by several minutes. So it was on. And on, and on I don't think Twitter was out yet, but on something, we were going back and forth and making fun of each other and posting pictures of each other. So it was very, there was, you know, Team Brett and, and uh, <laughs> Team uh, Tyler was the other guy. And uh, so when that was all over, I mean, yeah, there was not, there's, there's nothing. There's, it's yeah. just this <laughs> like white noise. <laughs> and you're like, where's my life now? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about your first um, half Ironman. How'd that go? Or where was it? And oh, how long ago? That, that was Superior Man in Duluth last, uh, the end of August in 2016. Okay. And uh, it went well. It went, it went really well. Uh, self-trained. Okay. And uh, uh, surprisingly, it uh, that didn't come back to bite me. Yeah. Um, until about the last nine k of the the half marathon. So, the uh, the swim went pretty well. Uh, interesting swim. Uh, you actually jump off of a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, two people jump off of each side of the boat every three seconds. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were down there with Pat Peacock, our coach. Uh, Nicole Walker and myself, we went down with our families and the last three people off the boat were Pat, Nicole, myself. Last three? Uh, you waited last, till the end? V- very last three. Yeah, why, we waited you wait? right. I don't know. Just <laughs> kind of, uh, Pat's a pretty laid back guy. I tend to be a pretty laid back guy. And, uh, there was a lot of rush and, and crunching up mm-hmm. towards the exit of the boat and we just didn't want to be stressed out starting how many so people we just were in the race there were i want to say somewhere somewhere in the neighborhood of about 200 oh, two okay. to 300 somewhere okay. somewhere around there yeah. is two boat two boatfuls so we went dead last uh passed a lot of people pat's mm-hmm. a phenomenal triathlete mm-hmm. uh he finished third in the race uh, <laughs> he must he must have passed 180 people yeah <laughs> i think i i passed 60 uh, the bike went fairly well, flatted, uh, in the last three kilometers. And oh, I was on, man, that sucks. Uh, well, I was yeah. on tubulars, so I, I was just, just ride it out. Yeah. <laughs> so the last, last three kilometers of the bike, I uh, just lost a little bit of time. No, wait, and I, then, I got a question. Uh, um, on the tubulars, were you, uh, are they carbon rim tubulars or were they metal? Were they alloy rim? Uh, carbon rim. And you rode on those, not worried about it at all? It, it was like a half a flat. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I still had enough air to ride. Okay. Yeah. Didn't, didn't just tear up the wheels and then got onto the run. And, uh, um, because as I mentioned, I wasn't big on, on run volume. Right. I got in and, and the first half of the run, I was on pace for, uh, about a 130, 133, 134 half marathon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at 10 kilometers, it was a two loop course. Uh, my wife was there to take pictures of me halfway and she goes, how's it going? This last half is going to hurt a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think I went, I I lost six minutes or so and, and did about a one forty half marathon, but Holy smokes was it, it was painful. It was a really painful 10 K. And, uh, so it was four, four forty six forty six for the first, 
half Ironman. That's a good time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was quite happy with it. Um, but it was funny because we're down there with Nicole and Pat. Nicole ran as far as everyone could tell the, the fastest half Ironman of any amateur woman in eight years. Wow. So she finishes 22 minutes ahead of me. Uh, Pat had probably one of the races of his life. Very, very controlled. Did something like a 416 or 417. So the entire families are like they're eating watermelon and getting their Sprite and chocolate milk. And 30 minutes go by and they go, holy smokes, Taryn's going to finish. We forgot about him. (laughs) (laughs) It had been that long, but my wife came back, but nobody else was there because everyone was was finished for so long. And, and, uh, it's a, uh, that's kind of our training group right now. It's, it's, uh, uh, there's about anywhere in between about six and 12 of us on any given day. And everyone is really, really talented. Uh And, and, uh, it's funny that, uh, say in our local half marathon here, I finished 17th out of, uh, 2000 athletes Mm -hmm. and and I was the slowest of our bunch Yeah, that day. So, uh, and yeah, I finished 17th and 14th or 17th in superior man and was the slowest by 20 minutes (laughs) in her bunch. So it's fun to go and race with them and see what they can do because, uh, uh, my perspective is literally like just to Zen it, just experience it. If I can, if I can race a race to my capabilities based off of the time commitment that I know I've put in, right. I'm happy. Yeah. And, and I did that. I, I deserve to have that hard back half of the marathon. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it all went well and that's how I approach every race. So like, it's, it's fun to see their success because yeah. my success is just, did I not blow up? All right. Call yeah. it a win. Yeah. I mean, you're, I always try to be really respectful of the people that are at the back half of the race. And um, because I've, def- I've been there many, many times myself. And like we were leaving the race, we were at a uh, mountain biking race today. And, you know, people have flat tires mountain biking like crazy. Oh, and yeah. So there's cars starting to, you know, get on the, on the road next to the trail. And you know how that feels to the athlete. You know, you're pedaling in and people are leaving the race venue. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're picking they're up the cones behind Dude, you. They're, they're leaving. Yeah. And because one time we were doing um, Ragnar, Texas, like six something years ago. And we signed up as a four man team when you're supposed to have 12, which means instead of running like 12 miles, we were going to run not all at once, but a cumulative like 50 miles each. And it's really hilly. And of course we end up at the very back. And at one point (laughs) on day two, the van that's picking up the cones is (laughs) behind our guy. That's kind of run walking. And then another, uh, uh, one of the race uh, officials said, you know, um, if you want to put your guy in the van and then maybe we can move you up the road a little bit, <laughs> we're totally cool with it. Because, <laughs> they, yeah, they got to get to breakfast. Yeah, my friend acted so, like, so, like, insulted, you know, and like, what? No, never. We're going to keep going, you know. And I was like, 
Uh, either way, you know, I know we're going to be okay. But yeah, these people have got a race. They 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 got to clean up. You know, and then after <laughs> that year, they got rid of the race. They didn't do Ragnar Texas again for years after that. I think it just came back this year. So oh, like, you crushed them. Yeah, we broke the race. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, being being the person that they're picking the cones up after you is like, oh my god, it's so demoralizing. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Okay. So strategies last race. What would, well, what, what are you doing different running more? You said for this race, you got a coach and, um, what about what's something else like nutrition or like intervals or what are you doing? That's different between that race and this race? Uh, the biggest big couple of bigger changes would be yes. Running more frequency is, is, way, way up, uh, going from, I, I was running on a good week last year, three times a week. Um, but right now it's five times a week, uh, with much less intensity. Right. I've heard so that. What I, yeah. Where what people I, run just like, like five miles or, or less yeah. and they run yeah. every day and that works yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, so I, I run three times during the week mm-hmm. and it's for a grand total of 35 to 40 minutes. And it started out wow. at 20. Yeah. And, and what I'm finding now is this was rest week. I went four days without running. And I call it, I call it rusty lawn chair syndrome where that, those first couple miles back, I could feel that my joints just weren't ready to turn over because yeah. I'd gone four days without running. I'm thinking, holy smokes, like this is what I was doing to myself all last year. Mm-hmm. So running more frequently with less intensity, there's little bits of, of bursts of intensity. So little bits of tempo pace and threshold work, but for the most part, that's really, it's been, it's been fairly light, um, because I get injury prone with a lot of running. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the bike uh, has actually been a lot less volume. I was doing a ton of volume. I, I, I bike quite a bit all year round. I commute, uh, even through the winter in, uh, up in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always bike a lot. The biking this year has actually been, uh, quite a bit less. I'm not doing the three hour bikes. Right. I'm doing hour and a half long bikes, mm-hmm. but it's very structured in power intervals. Right. Um, uh, and, and, uh, percentages of my FTP. And, uh, and I actually, uh, about four weeks ago, I was getting nervous that I wasn't putting in enough volume Mm-hmm. And then we redid an, an FTP test and it had increased by about 12%. Whoa, that's a lot. In, in yeah. two months. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that. Lots of more, more structured bike work. Uh, otherwise, the, the swim is kind of the same. If anything, I've actually backed down the volume in the swim. Mm-hmm. Um, the nutrition, I'm probably not going to change a lot. I've kind of dialed in a, a good nutrition plan for my body, the products that, that agree with my body. Yeah, that's huge. And, uh, Especially yeah. if you're going longer, like half Ironman. Half Ironman's and up. You've got to have yeah. your nutrition down because that'll do you in. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. A sprint in Olympic, I mean, put half a bottle full on your bike and yeah. maybe you need it. Well, but uh, we're At these races today, uh, these mountain bike races – um, somebody threw up, a girl threw up halfway through the first lap, and I know the laps take 25 minutes. Through the first? First how many lap. Laps did and that just shows yeah. you like how people get nutrition all wrong. You're eating too much before the, and these are oh, younger yeah. kids, so they're not, you know, no one's coaching them on nutrition yet. Oh, you know? yeah. Everyone gets all stressed out about carb loading and 
yeah, getting as much as you can in you. And I, I found out that um, less tends to be more mm-hmm. in my case. Right. Um, like just the bare minimum, like 200 to 250 calories an hour. You know who else is that? Who's Chrissy that? Wellington. Oh, really? Yeah. Just she as little as possible? Nutrition, turns out less is more. But she's got spon- – back then when she said you know, she's got all these sponsors and everything. But she had to be really careful how she said it. That's all she said. Less is okay. more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I used to get stitches like crazy. Oh my god! When I would when I would think about I I had a like a from my my lips down to my feet I had a stitch in one race. <laughs> it was it was literally a full body stitch, and I was I was walking, yeah. and uh, and I was walking past an aid station, and they're giving me the you can do it, you look great, and a friend actually stopped and went. No, just shut up. Just leave him alone. He, he's yeah. he's in a world of hurt right now. He shouldn't yeah. be doing this. <laughs> um, and that was that was back when I would carb load and I would just slam a bunch of products in on the bike that I I hadn't tested. Uh, and now it's it's basically scratch your Osmo mm-hmm. on the bike, right. something re- really light, and then every half hour take in anywhere between ninety and and one hundred and ten um, uh, calories from either gels or chews and something right. hopefully made out of tapioca tends to do better with me. Yeah. And that's about it. And if I stick to that, uh, I've done, I've done marathon swims on that. Uh, I've done Olympics, half Ironmans now, mm-hmm. uh, can get away with basically nothing in, in a half marathon. Yeah. Less tends yeah, to be more. I can see that. Yeah. Train, train more, yeah. train more and you don't need the, need the nutrition quite as much that's true okay. yeah yeah because like these treadmill te- treadmill tests and stuff you know they're testing top athletes well yeah they're going to already be fat adapted or else they would because they train so much yeah yeah um well tell me a little bit about uh being a youtuber and <laughs> so i got i got several questions one um do you feel that making all the videos and stuff that you would be a better triathlete or do you feel that it makes you a good triathlete because it keeps you honest? And then like, what are some of the, um, funniest, uh, comments that you've gotten? And then, um, like, and then like, like a day of making videos. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but like you, you get up and then, and then you don't, you like video and, and while you're, what you're eating, like how much is there a camera on you all the time? And what does your family think about this? Uh, well, uh, first question, uh, I've found that, that, uh, documenting every single day, I am more motivated, mm-hmm. um, because I'm now accountable to the training group. I'm accountable to the coach and I'm accountable to people who are watching. Right. And what do you do uh, with all the unsolicited advice you get <laughs> on how to train? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I give off a gruff exterior. I tend not to, to get a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. yeah. Cause it looks like you know what you're doing. So maybe they're just like, like, um, uh, and triathlon is just, is riddled with unsolicited advice. You know, your seat's too high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I actually get asked for a lot more advice than, than mm-hmm. is given to me. Um, Question number two was, uh, which was question number two? I remember the last. Um, let's see. We had, 
Uh, what is a day like? Well, let's go ahead and answer that one. What is a day like? Oh, did I lose you? Hello? But I think I got you. You're coming back. Yeah, hold on. I'm kind of losing you here. Let's see. Are you back? There you go. Okay. Okay. Oh, hey, there we go. There we go. There we okay, go. so, sorry. Okay. I got a bad connection Most, sometimes. But I remember the second question. <laughs> Most interesting comment? Most interesting comments that you get, yeah. Uh, I, actually, I, I actually don't get a lot of, of really wacky ones. Yeah. Um, of now going on two years, I think I've only been, say, YouTube trolled twice. Mm -hmm. Somebody just outright calling me out. And uh, I actually like to have a lot of fun with it um, because for our social ad agency, we put out a ton of content yeah. um, in fairly big platforms. Um, some, some of our clients have uh, hundreds of thousands, like millions of, of followers. So, yeah, we, we actually have contests for who can get the rudest comment. Mm -hmm. And I'm way, way down the list. Right. Uh, so yeah, so I've, I've never really got any, any good ones. The community has been fantastic. Um, really supportive, um, more just excited about triathlon, uh, a day in the life. That's probably a more interesting answer. I wake up at four 30 and, um, I've always been somebody that my mom says that, uh, like when I was zero days old, she could tell that wheels were turning mm -hmm. as I was sitting there in scheming, the little, planning, scheming, thinking, thinking, thinking as a little, <laughs> as a little seven hour old kid Yeah, <laughs> that I was always thinking. So I get up at, how do I get out of this crib? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where am I going to go to school? Is I got to figure this out now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll wake up at 4.30 and I'm out the door usually about an hour and 10 minutes later. And in that time, I'm eating yeah. the breakfast and I do a little meditation and some journaling of what I want to do that day. Oh, but yeah. as I'm doing kind of the in-between bits, mm -hmm. the brushing my teeth and the pouring the cereal or buttering my, my toast, uh, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to do this workout and this workout today and here's... Um, here's a meeting that I've got, um, and thinking through, okay, like what's been on my mind in triathlon. So mm -hmm. I kind of plan out the shooting day just in the, the little gaps in the morning. I'm not really sitting down and planning out a script. I'm just planning out what are going to be some interesting parts of my day. And then it starts, the, the shooting will start basically at the start of the first workout, which right. tends to be at around five forty-five, six o'clock. Okay. And, uh, there's probably only a camera on me. Uh, well, I can tell you how many minutes of footage we have typically every day. It's usually around 
20 to 25 minutes of footage. Mm -hmm. And most of that is, is useful shooting time. It's not a lot of setup time. So if somebody is watching the YouTube channel, they'll see that it's just walking down the edge of the pool and talking about what the workout is going to be. And that's me walking down the edge of the pool. I haven't set up lights. I just pull out a GoPro and I walk down the edge of the pool and talk to the camera with a setup that I've got. And uh, the different angles that I get during, say, a bike workout or, or a swim workout or a run workout, I'll just move the camera for a little bit of uh, change of scenery mm -hmm. uh, during the 20-second rest periods. So it's right. not like it's really adding much time. I think if, if I had to guess how much time is added throughout a day, it might be a grand total of 10 minutes because I'm, I'm filling the gaps that would otherwise just be taken up by standing or right. walking with, with shooting. And then, uh, so I'll shoot that first workout, uh, get to work. And sometime during the work day, I will typically shoot something. And that's when I, I will give an outright tip or I'll talk about some products that I'm trying mm -hmm. or something that's been sent to me. Um, or in the case of today, we'll show that, that we had a, a chat and introduce yeah. the, the gang to you, uh, something about the triathlon journey yeah. and I'll, I'll just grab a camera that we've got in our, our, uh, studio and plop it down wherever I feel like I can plop it down and talk to the camera for usually, I don't know, seven to 10 minutes. And that same thing that I did in the workout in the morning, if I have a workout at night, I'll do that same thing. Pull out the GoPro, plop it down, and then it follows me during the workout. So it's fairly structured, but structured in a way that it's not um, burdensome. Right. It, it's kind of just like if you went about your regular day and there was a camera sticking out of your backpack, right. that's sort of what it would be like. Right. And you've done this for so long. Uh, so people that are listening to this thinking, oh, maybe I could do this. We're talking to somebody here that's been doing this for so long. You know, you have a gut instinct now for what's worth videoing. And before it even happens, you're like, this is probably going to be pretty good. And yeah. And yeah. Also, and I've, and I've also got to think about how do I how do I talk about it? in a way that leads somebody through a story. Mm -hmm. uh, if I can give one tip to, to YouTubers out there is uh, particularly, I'd say sports YouTubers, there's a lot of sports YouTubers that will do a better job uh, than I will of getting beautiful footage, mm -hmm. uh, slow motion footage and drone footage and, and things like that. Um, what, what I work on really hard in the thought process is, okay, well, I'm stopping the swim here. Uh, how do I explain that there's more to the day and create, if it's an eight minute video mm -hmm. and I've shot it over the course of 14 hours, mm -hmm. I have to think at 7.30 in the morning what I'm going to be leading to that I might shoot at four in the afternoon. Right. And how, how do I say that so it's not just workout ends and then bam, completely yeah. different scene haven't explained what what's coming up next so it, it it needs to feel like a full day right and 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 yeah being familiar with the cameras having done 
like hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of video. We've done, uh, I think 140 on our channel now, but with the social ad agency, we, I think we put out a video every second day. Right. Um, so being able to work the camera at like button, 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 set up, mm -hmm. done. Okay, go. Uh, you know, that, that helps. What's kind of cool is because you're doing it on yourself and, and so is your staff, you're kind of, you're kind of like the, um, the guinea pig and you can try stuff out and without so much penalty because it's yourself, you know, you're not going to lose money from a customer because you did it wrong. You can oh, kind of, you can kind of yeah. practice Hey, we're going to try this. And so you're, you're, you're doing yourself what you're recommending or what you're doing for your, for your customers. And oh, that yeah. makes we, you better. We, we talk about that in, yeah. in presentations to customers. Uh, we, uh, we found out at one point last year, there was kind of some murmurs in the social media ad agency world that, that, uh, including a spelling mistake on your Facebook posts would allow for better performance. Mm -hmm. We can't go and pitch to a customer, Hey, I'm going to start making spelling mistakes on your account. What do you say? Yeah. The, uh, but I can try it on mine. Right, exactly. And if and if I want to look stupid, I look stupid every day. That's, That's fine. exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So what about this other thing where I read one time that to keep trolls down, and I've noticed you do this. This is, maybe you maybe you read the same thing, and this is like common knowledge with YouTubers, um, is to be in, because I've seen this on Mac, like a Wired and uh, CNET and stuff where they have a lot of trolls, like really bad. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they say anything about Apple, then all the Apple haters come in and say, you know, Hitler used an Apple. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? And, uh, so they, um, is to be in your own comment section. You go into the comment section and reply to people, right? Then it doesn't seem like an empty room where some troll can go in and just spew a whole bunch of hate because they, there's somebody else in there. The person that they're going to be talking trash to is there. there. Yeah, and it's going to call them out. So it keeps the, the trolling down big time because it's not an empty room where you can just graffiti on the wall and no, there no, there's no lights on. You know, There's no security lights. Yeah, you the know? landlord is standing the right there. The landlord is right there. Yeah. yeah. And so they don't even try because you're in there. Yeah, that you know what? I've never thought about that for my channel. I've always just commented because I like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like talking to people in, in little old Winnipeg. It can feel quite isolating <laughs> that we've got, you know, thousands of views happening, happening every single day. And it's, it's almost like it's fictitious because I don't see anyone. Um, but being able to comment, that's what makes it real to me. So I've always just done it because it's the fun way to do it. Oh. You're doing it naturally. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just fun. Yeah. But we have actually yeah, recommended to to our clients that they comment more um, because it, it makes it more real. Uh, I had the couple of troll comments that I have gotten. I've, I've responded with an equal troll comment back. Uh -huh. uh, that I've is, done that. Uh, it's oh, so fun. Actually, okay. Oh, oh yeah. I've got – okay. I've yeah. got the, 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 funnest, uh, the funnest comment. It yeah. just came to mind. So I did a, a review – uh, there was a dog leash that we've got two dogs and they run on either side of me. And instead of, of, uh, holding leashes in my hands, I wanted to run hands free. So I went and found a dog leash that I, I liked and I reached out to them and I said, Hey, do you mind if I give it a try? We'll do a video on it. it like, I think people would like this. Mm -hmm. So I did that video probably about a year and a half ago, 
nothing was said about it. A couple of comments here and there. A few weeks ago, I get a get a comment that um, can I can I swear on this? Oh yeah. Or should I not? Okay. <laughs> so get okay, a well, comment. Okay. Well, we just warn was, people. Okay. There's going to be a swear word. So earmuffs for your children. All right. Earmuffs yeah. for kids. So <laughs> the comment is, "Hey, listen, you dickhead." How about those dogs don't, maybe those dogs don't like being run around like that. Think about the dogs, asshole. And I respond, <laughs> like he, I have a lab and a lab cross rescue mix that is oh. so full of beans that yeah. we cannot tire him out. Right. And I responded with, oh yeah, if there's anything that's, a sh- if there's something that, that is a sure thing, it's that dogs hate running. You clearly <laughs> know a lot about dogs. <laughs> That's funny. So I responded like that, and yeah. then he came back in, and he's like, "Oh, oh, hey man, hey man, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just that dogs aren't built for running, like, yeah, what? You, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, if there's one, <laughs> I just chatted with my wife, and and we we talked it over, and Petey and Gracie sure hate going to the park and running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I trolled them back about how ridiculous it was. <laughs> but you said something earlier that. Um, and then after this, I guess we, yeah, we should wrap it up because we've been, gosh, we've been talking over an hour. The, yeah, um, fun. Um, you mentioned that you get up in the morning and then you do something, uh, like I forgot which one you did first, but at some point you, um, uh, meditate. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and I think you said that you have a notebook and paper out then. Yeah. And then uh, you also said that you, um, the pauses in the day that you yes. at least notice those, but you didn't say what you do with them. So tell, tell me more. Cause I actually do the same kind of thing and I find it incredibly valuable, but I've never really talked to anybody about it. So on the air, well, so tell me about it. Okay. Oh, neat. Well, I do uh, say really 630 something episodes. And this is the first time we've talked <laughs> Not, about the pauses. About, really. about the pauses. And I think that that okay. is huge, especially in today's busy society. So, Okay. Well, yeah, I, uh, we'll get the, the, uh, common stuff out of the way. Yeah. I journal every morning and I either do, uh, uh, the five minute journal, uh, or, uh, if I just kind of feel like the five minute journal has got repetitive, I'll, I'll just go on a, a free writing spree mm-hmm. so and just write yourself? for, eh, not really. Yeah. Eh, just I'll just kind of write, write yeah. as long as I want to write. And, uh, then before I leave, I, uh, actually yesterday was the first day I've missed in 131 days. And I, I, I'm shameful of this, uh, first day of meditation I've missed in 131 days. Yeah. We've been talking about that. that you, yeah. should, you should be embarrassed. I know. I know exactly. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll do anywhere from a 10 to 20 minute meditation, uh-huh. uh, or some breathing exercises, but I earmark a little over, yeah, somewhere around 20 minutes for it. Mm-hmm. And those two things that I've been doing for probably a year and a half or so, uh, I find they put each day in a bit of an orderly fashion Mm -hmm. because I'm somebody that thinks so much, I can be thinking about the run, the swim, the shoes, um, what laptops we're using, what laptops are coming out, what cameras we're using, how I'm feeling, how much work I've got to do. How's the business going? Who I should be talking to for more business? Mm. Who, who are, you know, how are the clients going? How are the employees? Blah, 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 on and on and on and on. And having the journaling practice and the, the meditation, 
it just kind of compartmentalizes everything mm-hmm. that I can, it, it actually then translates into those pauses in the day being productive okay. before, because I'm somebody whose mind races all the time. Those pauses in the day could be filled with whatever gunk my mind decided to bring up. Okay. Whatever, whatever would come to mind. Now the pauses in the day are maybe one of the three to five most important things that I'm concentrating on. So right now it's thinking about the vlog and I'm committing to the vlog um, for at least a month of every single day, no matter what we're putting out a vlog and we're having actually a lot of fun with it. So I can't really um, picture us stopping for quite a while. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's the vlog and it's, uh, it's a couple of other things with the business, but it's just those primary things. And instead of having 40, 50 things racing through my head at any one point during the day, it's just a couple of primary things that I've decided to focus on that are big picture items. So you said before you would, there was just all kinds of things and now you're focusing on, are you saying that when you take the pauses that you're telling yourself as you take the pause, I'm going to think about this one thing now only or or before you weren't even taking pauses and just all kinds of stuff would come up anytime there was a break between stuff. You weren't purposefully pausing. No, yeah, it'd be more like that. Yeah, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be purposefully pausing. The, the feeling that I used to get, I, I've always um, filled my, my life with busy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the... It's the way that I'm I'm wired. I like to be busy. You're not, but I would I no would kidding, be you know, a, a YouTuber triathlete. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. Uh, so it it would end up getting erratic, busy, uh-huh. and it would feel erratic, right? And it would feel uncontrolled. It would feel like I couldn't make myself less busy. Like I couldn't make right. myself calm. Uh, it just felt like I needed to think more, and I needed to work harder, and I needed to do more, and that was how I would overcome it. Now, I recognize those pauses in the day uh-huh. as moments that I can decide what's important and what isn't. Yeah, if that makes sense. That I, I recognize that there there sense. are moments that don't need to be filled with whatever junk my mind wants to fill it with. Mm-hmm. I can fill it with reading and recognize that that's productive, mm-hmm. or sitting and meditating and recognize that that's productive. Because it's just as much an effort of um, what are the f- what can I cut out that isn't important, right? As opposed to ten years ago when I would be like, how much more can I do? Yeah. Granted, yeah. that said, I, I I just solved my YouTube problem by doing three times as many videos throughout a week. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think okay. I no, I talk about this on the show, but I talk about me doing it, and I've never actually interviewed somebody about them doing the doing it. So you're the first person I've talked to that actually I can bounce this off of, and and it's exactly the same thing. So executive function is the part of your brain that um, where you pause and make the right decisions. It's not it's not reacting too quickly. So right. poor executive function is the guy 
who ends up in jail because somebody said his mom was fat, right? So he punches the guy and then ends up in jail, right? Um, executive function is the pause and going, okay, this guy like has never even met my mom, so how would he even know? I'll just laugh it off, whatever, right? Don't even get involved. But you have to pause and think first, yeah. right? The the Stephen Covey, the uh, it is the how does Something he word it? The, it's the people. the yeah the habits of of highly successful people. He he calls it the uh, it's the space in between stimulus and response that mm-hmm. determines who we are as people. Right, and so you choose what you get, to, what you do in yeah. that space. So I've found exactly what you're talking about is because I'm, I'm just like you where, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next. Um, cause trying to catch up, I feel like I'm behind and I want to catch up. Right. And then, um, but instead pausing and then it's almost like those drawers, like a sock drawer and where you can like, okay, let's pause. Now let's put our thoughts over here, sort, Mm -hmm. sort out what's been happening and then just like take a breath for like just like five minutes and then go instead of going what's next right because that could be anything what's next what do i do next is saying what's the most important thing to be doing next yeah and then you kind of sit there for a minute and you can go over like a to-do list or just kind of sit there and, and and then go oh and it's it's way different the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, um, go see if anybody commented on my Instagram pic, <laughs> right? Yeah. Of course that could be next, right? And that's what you want to do next. But then if you ask, what's the most important thing to be doing next? You go, oh, I need to see if um, my uh, my son's uh, mountain bike practice got canceled because of the rain, right? Mm. And yeah, because that's going to really affect your day because do I have to take them somewhere else? Do I have to, you know, like all the stuff that's going to really affect what's going on? Or did I get an email back from the, um, instead of just checking your email, like I should just check my email cause you don't know what's in there is, um, did I get an email back from Taryn about what time we're going to talk on Sunday? Right. And then, so I, I go and I look instead of just going and reading my email, I search for Taryn and then look mm. and see if I got a message, right? That's the most important thing to be doing that's going to, and, and then, yeah, you do that, and then you get kind of caught up again and doing, you know, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. But then after a yeah. while, yeah, after like a half an hour, hour or two, you go, okay, hold on. And then you take that break, and then you just go, what's the most important thing to be doing next? And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so great. Yeah. Well, yeah. you end up, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I love how you called it, the, the drawers that you can pull out. Yeah. Uh, the one of the most the the most tangible mm-hmm. a- aspects or tangible stories that we're going through right now, um, literally on this podcast that that is um, the outcome of choosing what is the most important thing mm-hmm. is uh, I yeah I have a habit of checking Instagram, replying to comments as they come up, and why part of why. I wanted to go to a daily vlog is I knew that putting out content and sharing my story was the most important thing. True. Not getting back to people 17 seconds after they commented on my Instagram photo or YouTube. Mm. I I can I still get back to everyone, but it's in bunches now mm. because we're concentrating on putting out 
content and sharing our story every single day and reaching out to people who are doing the same thing and having conversations with, with people like you Mm -hmm. and, uh, and creating a vlog every single day. That's the important stuff. Mm -hmm. And what it has resulted in is I just have less time and less interest to get back to every single comment within 17 seconds. So what I'll do is once a day, I'll go in for 10 minutes and blast through mm-hmm. everything. I'll, I'll batch it, still get back to everyone, but I don't have that need to go back 40 times a day to the Instagram comments and 40 times a day yeah. to the YouTube comments and 40 times a day to the Facebook comments. <laughs> I, I focus on the big important things of what's, what's high leverage, what matters to me, what, it, what is meaningful, what adds value to my life and to other people's lives. And, um, getting back to somebody within 17 seconds, it's good, but it's still good to get back to somebody 17 hours later. Mm-hmm. Still good. But with this approach, I can now put out seven videos a week and right. more authentic videos a week right. and connect more with everyone every single day. Um, and the response has been really good. There's more comments. There's more people that, that want to know about, I just put out a video about my wife. People are taking an interest in, in our family mm-hmm. and my coworkers and the dogs. Um, it's, it's much more heartfelt than, um, than, yeah, just not having those, those drawers that I can, I can pick from. It's resulted in, in a, a very good vibe with yeah. the YouTube channel right now. Yeah. Wow, even even the really cool. even Mel who uh she's appeared in in one of the videos because she edits a lot of the videos. Uh she reads the comments every day and like it's high fives in the office. She's so motivated about about what people are saying. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it's neat. Well, awesome, man. Well, let's wrap it up and um do you want to do you want to talk offline? Do you want to shoot some YouTube video? You said you already got some bits or what do you want to do next? Yeah, I've got bits of me. If uh, if you're done recording, yeah, I'm I'm all done. Oh. Yeah, if you're done recording, okay, let's hear. We'll uh, what do we plug doing? this? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. There we go. Okay. We'll start at my end of it. Let me put on my YouTube face. <laughs> <laughs> got good light. Got headphones in. Should I leave my headphones in or take them off? Oh yeah, you gotta. You got to look like a podcaster. Oh, and then, yeah, I leave the headphones in. I think so they're pretty much grown uh, into my ears by now. Yeah, not a lot of light that way. So we just burned through, what, Brett, an hour and 20 minutes of Zen podcasting? Yes, and we even talked about Zen. Maybe once. Maybe, Maybe twice. Once. I think twice we talked about Zen. We so, did. Did. Yeah. So everyone, this is Brett. As I mentioned before, he runs Zen in the Art of Triathlon podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Taryn. Oh, man. I subscribe to him, and every day or two, I look to see if he posted something new. He's got lots of good um, advice, and you get to see training for triathlon and, uh, you know, for real, what it's really like. And he's doing um, Half Ironman in Mexico really, really soon. And he's a Campeche. And also, um, you can watch him. He's very experienced in social media and how to talk and uh, 
do things on Twitter and YouTube and stuff. So if you're kind of into that and you maybe you want to grow your brand a little bit, either uh, ape him <laughs> or get in contact with him uh, or at least follow him and kind of see how he's doing it because he knows what he's doing. It's really cool. All right, next we have Scott Sambucci which I, I love the moment while recording with them where we both start going, dude, yeah, man, <laughs> like that. And just like him, I am very uh, impressed. Uh, well, I'm very terrified of this uh, Catalina Channel swim. If there's any swim out there that I'm probably going to end up doing that's an ocean swim, it's probably going to be that one um, because I just keep, it just keeps popping up on my radar. And so I found it really excited exciting to talk with him about it um just imagine 20 something miles open ocean where there's great whites everywhere and then turn around and then try to um to to bike and then run even more it's just absolutely crazy and this shows you the mindset and where he's at you listen to their interview is he one of the first things we talk about is is he going to do it again you have to listen in and find out and um and then it's, I wonder, is he ever going to do anything that big again? Um, maybe he'll come down and do my uh, Ironman with me once I get my feet all healed up. Um, back to Brett. Enough about Brett is, uh, let's see. Oh, I'm up to six and a half miles. Um, if I do the really easy, easy, easy jog. Not really sure if that's too far yet or not. I'll know tomorrow. And, um, and the reason I'm talking about this is this goes back to, am I doing my own Ironman in the fall? Um, we'll see. Um, so when we talk about inviting Scott to come down and do that with me, I'm kind of on the fence about inviting anybody cause I don't know yet, but we got all that more shows. Uh, and then in the training log, I talk about it. So, but in the meantime, let's get to Scott and learn a lot more about what it was like to be in Uberman, California. Here we go. Hey Scott, is that you? Hey, hey man, how's it going? Going good, man. You want to go ahead and start recording? Let's do it. All right. So I have here on the phone with me Scott Sambucci, and I'm saying the last name right, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah you got it. I'm impressed. Most <laughs> yeah. people don't get that. Oh man, the uh, it, it's a wild guess sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just never know, and then the uh, the guest will correct me in a way that I never even imagined that their last name was pronounced. So uh, you are one of the competitors in Uberman 2016, correct? And uh, I, the, a question just came to my mind right now: Are you gonna Are you gonna try again in 2017? <laughs> my wife just asked me that same question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I I I I'd say right now it's, it's highly unlikely. Oh, it's, it's highly unlikely. unlikely. Okay. Yeah, I I thought I've been thinking about it, mm -hmm. especially after listening to uh, Dan recount, you know, your interview with him the other yeah. day, listening to that, and I was like, ah, you know, maybe I give this another shot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like, I I want to do it. What yeah. I can't. What I what's really hard it's it's look i told people right after it was done if i could get into a time machine and do it again in a week i would do it right and as you and probably all your listeners know it's not about race day it's it's the training yeah it's the six months going into it and yeah uh it's it's hard man it's really hard that's so true 
Yeah. It's hard on me. It's hard. It's hard on your family and it's, it's hard on your business and yeah. all those things. And it's, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to sign up for that piece of it again. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you could just do it and then, and, uh, without all the training, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like these, um, there's people, uh, they're signing up for a moon mission. What's, um, what's Elon Musk's, uh, is he SpaceX? I guess is he SpaceX? Yeah. SpaceX. Yeah. And they're looking for um, people to go to a mission that's going to uh, go around yeah. the, the moon and back. Not land on the moon, but go around it. And the uh, there is, sure, there's there's some training for it. You know, they want to make sure that they're in half decent shape. But it's not going to require six-hour bike rides. <laughs> right. I didn't do any six-hour bike rides. <laughs> Oh, what'd you do? What was your longest bike ride? Four hours. Four hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah, do any did, riding uh, at night preparing for uh, it? I did not. Yeah. I did not. I did. Well, I did a little bit early morning, uh, mm-hmm. one of the days that, uh, that I rode. Yeah. Um, but, uh, in fact, like a lot of the training I did was very focused around, uh, I did. So, and, and I, don't, I don't know if this topic's interesting or not, but we mm-hmm. can, we can chat a bit about it. Um, so I did roughly six months. Uh, by the way, it's because of you that I did Uberman. Just so yeah. you know, my, one of my questions is: is where did you hear about it first? And then if yeah. it, if you said me, then I was going to either apologize. <laughs> no, thank you. So here's here's yeah. the the short story. So yeah. I got a text from a good friend of mine, uh, Kim, uh-huh. who was just getting into triathlons, uh-huh. and she sent me a text. I think it was on March 30th uh-huh. or March 31st. She said, "Have you heard of this? Deadlines tomorrow." Right. And I looked at it and I told my wife and I said, I want to do this. Yeah. And she said, you're serious. I said, I'm, I'm serious. And she said, all right, if you, if you want to do it, let's do it. And everything's a team effort on this. She's uh, like, we talked about this where, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of triathletes unfortunately suffer from like the best they can hope for is their spouse will tolerate their triathlonism. Right. My wife is unbelievably supportive. Oh, cool! Like incredibly supportive. Yeah, and it's like it's a, it's a blessing. Yeah. So, so uh, basically, I got in touch with Dan. We exchanged some messages, and he said, "Yeah, there's a spot. You know, if you want a spot." And little, like I thought, you know, there's probably 50 people doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh no, there's seven, <laughs> right. or whatever it was." Yeah. Um, so yeah, because of that text, uh, Kim listened to your podcast, and she's like, "That's how she found out about it," and then mm-hmm. told me and. A day later, I was signed up. Yeah, the um, when I found out about it, I got really into it, and then I mentioned it to some of my friends that live out in California and have been involved in Catalina swim crossings. Yeah, and they said this is impossible. There's no way that um, they can do this swim. There's not enough boats. You need a boat per person, and. Yeah. Um, and I heard during the race that somebody fell back and they had to pull somebody out or something like that. Yeah, that was so. There was Sam and I shared a boat, mm-hmm. um, and he was the guy that came over from from the UK. Right. He had just done the English Channel, and we, we had approximated we were going to be roughly the same time, so it kind of worked out right. that he needed a boat, and I was like, whatever, you know, happy yeah. to help. And uh, I think he just obviously, I mean, he was fatigued both from the channel and the travel. And, um, oh. I ended up like a mile or two ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And then the winds were, um, were starting to really get 
tough for us. So we left, um, I know we're kind of jumping around here, but we, we actually left at four in the morning, right. Uh, to do our swim. So there's one, one swimmer left at six at night. The other one left at midnight. We left at four in the morning and I had done a lot of research, um, super researcher and a person. My wife is PhD. She does a lot of research and right. we knew, we knew the best, the best thing to do is leave at midnight. That's right. what most crossings do. And the challenge though, of course, is the swim channel, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the shipping channels. Right. And, uh, in fact, Lynn Cox, so she wrote a book called swimming to Antarctica. Right. And she talked about being in the middle of the channel, the Catalina channel, and not even seeing this enormous vessel and got, got stuck in like a 12 foot wake, like, like in the middle of the channel in the middle of the night. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Hmm, I don't know if I want to do that. Right. So we opted and we talked to the boat captain and we all decided let's do 4am because it kind of splits the difference. Mm -hmm. The challenge of course was then you're swimming late into the day when the currents get worse and the wind gets worse. Right. And so it's, it's kind of like a marathon where the first, the first half is not the first half, it's like the first half is the first roughly 15 miles. Yeah. And then the second half is the last six or seven. Right. Um, it takes so much longer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I went from swimming two miles an hour down to 0.8 miles per hour by the oh. end of the swim. Wow. And, and my stroke count, like if you look at my Garmin on this, my stroke count was actually gone up. Oh. Yeah. Like wow. I was, it was, uh, it was an effort. Those last three, especially getting into shore really, really tough. And so you, like you add all that stuff up, it's late afternoon, the wind's picking up. Um, you know, Sam had just done the English channel and I think we all, I mean, I didn't make the decision cause I was in my own world, but back on the boat, I think they just decided that for safety reasons and, um, otherwise it would be best to just concentrate on getting one of us across. So, right. so I got a question. Did, um, when Dan said that there was a triathlete, there that was like super like the type a competitive part was he referring to you because i he must have been i so i don't consider myself type a i think dan the dan's interaction with me i was definitely type a because you know it was all about organization and and safety and Mm -hmm. what's happening and you know um you know, something like this, it's, if you're, you just, there's a lot of stuff that's, there's a lot of ambiguity as much planning goes into it, both for him and me and everyone else, Mm -hmm. the boat captain, the kayaker is just, there's just a hundred things that you haven't thought about until they happen, which is a lot different than even, I mean, even if you do an Ironman, you know, the day can go sideways on you and you don't expect certain things to happen. And, And, um, that, that was, uh, that was, after I talked to them about it, I thought I thought about it, and I and I was like, "Well, Dan isn't a um, he's not he doesn't have a history of triathlon racing, right? Yeah, um, he doesn't have, and you do, and yeah, the uh, people that have raced a bunch of Ironman, I've done a bunch, and I've also put on a bunch of real small race about this size, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the what what could appear from somebody that is that is outside that world as type a and like really particular is actually somebody that's just had a a lot of experience and has seen a lot of stuff go wrong (laughs) yeah i mean i'm a i'm a super planner and i mean i put a lot into the logistics and that's something else i you know yeah there's difference between planning 
and experience and being like ultra competitive. That's different. Yeah, I was yeah. I wasn't competitive. Like I I mean, there's a couple of things that looking back, I obviously I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes. And mm-hmm. in fact, listening to the podcast with Dan, I, you know, I've, I've, I've almost done a blog post. I'm almost done a blog post myself mm-hmm. just looking back because there's certain things that I wish I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things is like, I, I put together a five day race plan for myself. Right. I said, I'm going to get this thing done in five days. And I've worked with, you know, I worked with guys like Brian McKenzie, who's CrossFit endurance guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like worked out with him for a day and I, I used him as a coach and we went through this plan and he said, I, he's like, it's, it's aggressive, it's doable. And so though looking back, there's some things that I just didn't know were going to go wrong for right. me. So one of the things that went wrong for me was that I didn't even, cons- that I should have known to consider that I didn't consider was missing our landing spot when we hit land because oh, yeah, yeah. it happens all the time. Um, my plan was when I hit the landing spot, my sister was going to be there with an RV and I was going to crawl into the RV and crash and get up and start the bike the next day. The okay. problem is we were only a quarter mile off, mm-hmm. but the quarter mile off might've, should have been, might've well have been, uh, a galaxy away because there was no way for her to get to me because there's rocks that jut out into the ocean. <laughs> I've so been I've been there and done I'm that like, on the, yeah. on the Pacific and in Southern California and San Diego. I've, yeah, I went surfing and stuck. Then, and then ended up on rocks going, where, how the hell do I get out of here? And, and oh my like God. on the one hand, yeah, yeah, you're like, wow, we're only off a quarter mile because some people get pushed three miles down shore. Yeah. And we're only off a quarter mile despite the wind and current and everything else. But what that meant was my entire plan, I, it was a bad plan because I didn't have a backup. It wasn't movable. So the only option for me was to go back to the boat uh, like a half mile offshore. Um, yeah, I was going to say, if, I have to, if you get stuck... The worst scenario is you got to swim back out. Yeah, so, so tired that's what and they so told weak. me. What are you going to do? They're like, yeah, great. You get to swim back out. I said, I'm not swimming. So the kayaker, that she just pulled me. And then we got back in the boat. And they said, like, <laughs> I'm not swimming. <laughs> I was like, I- I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I- I've done enough. Yeah. 23.74 miles or something it came to. Yeah. Um, so we got back in the boat. And the, the decision was, look, if you want to make it back to shore, go ahead and jump in. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Or you can go back to Marina del Rey, which is where the boat was docked, which is 30 miles north, um, which completely blew up the plan to start the bike the next day. So that plus um, hmm. like I knew the beach was rocky. I knew people cut their feet. Yeah. I was so anxious to hit land and clear the water. I didn't hmm. take an extra minute or two to find a good spot. It was getting dark and I just wanted to get the hell out of the water. And I put two big gashes in the bottom of my foot. Oh, so. Yeah like two, like two extra minutes would have saved me a lot of pain on the bike and the run. So like, these are little things that I just, like I knew were there. I didn't build them into my plan. Yeah. And those things, those little things end up costing you. It really, that's frankly what cost me the ability to, uh, to do the whole course. Mm -hmm. And, um, the other thing I didn't account for was how bad my shoulders are going to feel. I mean, it's a long swim. I did a Tahoe crossing, Mm-hmm. earlier in the year and it was like 11 miles and right. it felt great it's like six mile or six hours 11 11 miles i was like got out felt great i was yeah. like okay this is cool and again having done race experience in the four before i should have known that double the distance is like 4x the effort yeah you know and it's just like these are all things that i look back i'm like god why didn't i see these things mm-hmm. when i was planning why didn't I see that I could have built in a rest day instead of trying to get done in five days? Why yeah. I just give myself a wild card day to use whenever I needed it? And so there's a lot of 
things despite all of the planning I did. My plan wasn't the right plans. Is big difference between planning and a plan. Yeah, with the, the so, long distance swimming, I'm I'm now uh, friends with this YouTuber, uh, Taryn Triathlon Taryn, and he just told me that he's doing some big swim this this summer in a river or, or open water. I can't tell if it's got a current or not. I haven't looked into it enough yet. But mm. and it's about the same. It's like I think it's yeah. like twenty something miles. Uh, it was in kilometers, yeah. so I was trying to do the math. But the um, but for us normal, you know, you I don't think you're like a super duper marathon swimmer, like like no. um, like these women that swim in the in Antarctica, you know, right? Or like right. Uh, what's her what's her name that swam from Cuba to to uh, right. Florida? So um, because that's not our full time occupation, like with swimming really far, like once you get around. It's a little bit more than six miles. It's probably like eight to ten to twelve miles. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you do when your shoulders just give out, right? Like yeah. now you got, and then you you got to keep going, and you kind of can keep going. You can keep put, you can keep going forward, but it's kind of like walking now instead of running. Like your arms just mm-hmm. are completely toasted. You can still exactly. move them. And you can still eat and you can still go forward, but yeah, That's like, ex- and then, you're exactly right, Brett. That's yeah. exactly what I was and, feeling. And then, yeah. And then, yeah, to fight the current at the very end and then try to get up on shore. And now your arms are completely fried and now you got to get on a bike, right? And then support your weight on, and it's not even, it's the weight, you know, it wasn't too bad, isn't too bad, but it's like reaching for bottles and you know, like handling the bike that takes that extra bit of strength. Yeah. So for me, um, so I took, I I ended up skipping the first half of the bike. So Mm -hmm. I met, I think Dan mentioned this. I just basically drove up to Mojave and then, and skipped that first leg. Cause I I wanted to do, I wanted to get on the bike in some way. And I thought, well, look, um, because I, I also really, really wanted to get onto the run. That was important to me. Like I, I really like of the three sports, that's probably my strongest is the thing I enjoy the most. Mm. And I, I just wanted to get on the bad water course. Yeah. That was really important to me. So I thought, well, now I've got a decision to make. Like I can either, um, you know, take two days or three days to do the bike and then maybe not get a chance to do the run mm-hmm. because again, I had this five day plan that was also constrained by my crew cause they had to get back to work and yeah. back to their lives and everything else, plane yeah. tickets and all that stuff. Mm. Um, or I could just skip a day, take a rest, recover, and then meet up everybody, meet up with everyone and then mm-hmm. get the second half of the bike done and then do the run. Yeah. And so right. I, I made that decision. And even then, um, the first half of the bike day, I had to ride my road bike versus my tri bike because I couldn't get down into a tuck yeah. position and wouldn't have felt safe, especially out there in the desert. So, um, cause it was so yeah, windy so or, or why? Yeah, it was just, um, some of it was pretty hilly anyway. So, yeah. It just didn't, you know, wouldn't have made a lot of sense to be on a tri bike. Uh, I did switch over to a tri bike mid- about midway and, and knocked out a few hours on that. But then it got hilly again when we were getting over towards Death Valley and Town Pass. So I switched yeah. back to my road bike. Uh, it was just more comfortable for me, especially with my shoulders. But you're right. Like I didn't, like the next day, I couldn't lift my shoulders over my sternum, either <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> Um, so we had voodoo floss with us and my sister, my sister and my wife were both crossfitters and my sister's, um, done 
some some work with people and so she's just they were just working the hell out of my shoulders and yeah um just getting me back to some level of mobility in yeah. my shoulders so it was just like a safety thing yeah more than anything but that's like going back to the plan like had i had i known that experience because like you said i'm not a marathon swimmer i just happen yeah. to do triathlons that was a that was a big mistake but I will say though, for people that are thinking about doing the marathon swimming, I think there's a big misconception that uh -huh. I, I think is important to know, which is, and this goes back to some of the CrossFit uh, endurance training I did. So I did roughly six months of training. So going back to when I signed up, I started training April 1st, mm -hmm. the race is in October. The first three months through basically like end of July, mm -hmm. I did the kind of long, slow distance training. Right. And then I switched, uh, purposely switched. Then once I knew the engine was built, right. then I switched to doing high intensity, more weightlifting. That's when I started working with Brian McKenzie, um, lots of intervals and yeah. much shorter distances. So in the, in the pool, my longest mm -hmm. day in the pool, um, the longest swim I did in the pool was 10,000 meters hmm. and the oh, longest yeah. week, the longest single week I did was 30,000 yards. Which for a lot of people doing the channel or these Catalina swims, they'll swear by doing consistently doing forty, fifty thousand yards per week. Yeah. And I was actually doing twenty by the end of my like in August, September, I was doing twenty thousand yards mm -hmm. at most. Uh, but because I was doing high intervals, long, not not short intervals, like I was doing like my my least favorite but most favorite workout was doing intervals I uh, do a pyramid of Interval of 500 yards, 250 rest, 750 interval, 250 mm -hmm. rest, 1,000 yard interval, 250 rest, then 750, then 500. Wait, what's a 250 down. rest? Uh, two minutes of what? Like a, like a uh, uh, 250 yards. Just, easy. Just like easy. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just to recover. Yeah. Um, so you're doing like a 1,000 yard interval. That's, that's you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, but you're out of the pool in under two hours to do that workout. Right. right. It's an hour and a half, and you're getting max a max amount of, of reward for that time. Yeah. And so even though I'd never done that long of a swim, I mean, yeah, my shoulders are wrecked, but I think anybody's shoulders would have been wrecked. Yeah. Um, I was able to do Catalina and mm -hmm. having never done that swim before. So I yeah. think for people that are listening and trying to figure out like, how do you manage this? I think there's a, there's a definitely a different way outside of the long, slow difference. Long, well, slow distance you have way. to, I think you have to figure out a way because you know, to swim Catalina, you're talking about to most, almost everybody would only be swim training for that. That's the proper way to do it. Yeah, that's the but other thing. But <laughs> you've got to, how do you swim train while you need to go out and do bike rides yeah. and you need to be out running? Like, it's insane. Yeah. It's like, there, there's, this might be, this race might be the breaking point of like, it's too long for people that, you know, to train for that, um, unless they're training all, unless they don't have a job or something like that and they can train specifically for it all day long and get up to that because to get in the training, to be able to finish those distances, you, yeah, I, I, um, I quit running for a little bit because of, a, of my foot injury. Right. Right. And then I found it was so much easier to swim and bike, <laughs> <laughs> Right. you know, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not tired, you know, and I can actually like improve my swim times and, and, uh, yeah. because I'm not running as much. Um, I got a question about the, um, the swim. 
Yeah. Because, you know, I was thinking about doing this race and there's uh, something that came to mind is the, the salt water. Did you have problems yeah. with the salt water, like puffing up your tongue, like uh, Diane Nyad's photos th- of her tongue no, no, hanging no. out of her mouth? So a, a, a friend of mine here in Davis has done the English Channel and he, he said his really puffed up, mm-hmm. like to the point where he couldn't eat. Um, but for me, I didn't get that at all. Uh, what was worse, actually the most annoying thing for me was uh, the first three hours at night mm-hmm. from rough until we had daybreak, there were these little jellyfish stingers yeah. and they kept, I kept getting pinpricks in my face oh. for like the first three hours and my face puffed up. Yeah. Um, but then they went away once sunlight came up oh. and that was fine. I didn't have any other issues. Yeah. I, I didn't see any wildlife at all actually, okay. except for jellyfish. I did. So this is wicked cool, dude. Uh, <laughs> I was, I came up for a break yeah. and I'm like, I think I hear something and I'm not, I was like, is that a boat now? Cause you know, like you hear a boat from a long way away, you kind of hear it humming. Yeah, right. And I was like, no, it's not a boat. I was like, are those dolphins? Oh. And then just then my wife said, you're not going to believe this. There are hundreds of dolphins around you right now. Oh, cool. I couldn't, couldn't see, see any of them. Yeah. She could see them from the boat. She's like, it's, you cannot imagine what it looks like right now. And oh. I could hear them squeaking yeah. in the water. It was so They're cool. Like once, yeah. once I placed it, yeah. Um, so that part was really cool. The other thing that was also very cool about the swim, uh-huh. which it, it was one of those things I didn't expect, was because the route's actually south to north, um, you yeah. watch the sunrise over the east, over uh-huh. your right shoulder. And as the sun was coming up, because of I, when I knew how long it was going to take me, roughly 14, 15 hours, I was doing the math and I'm like, I'm going to get to watch the sun go all the way across the sky and I'm probably going to get a chance to watch it set. Yeah. And that's ended up happening. So, oh, you know, cool. it was like from a sort of like from a Zen peacefulness centering kind of yeah. way. It was something that throughout the course of the day, I could just watch the sun and kind of use that as my meter as to how long I had to go. That's really cool. And there was a really cool peacefulness yeah. around that. And then two days later, I watched the sun rise over the desert which was, yeah. you know, I'm in Mojave and there's this big glowing red sun. Right. And then that night, as we're climbing and finishing the climb at Town Pass, the sun was setting behind me. And just from a, like outside, just from a human experience standpoint, to, to be able to watch a sunrise and a sunset in the same day mm-hmm. and be able to do that two out of three days and one day over the ocean and one day over the desert in yeah. two of the most glorious places, in my opinion, in, in the world is just something that for me is something I've, I've people ask me about the experience and that's one of the things that the imagery of those four, you know, sunrises, sunsets is just something that's really burned in my mind. Yeah. That's really cool when, when you can do something like that, because, um, I've done when, when we did, uh, Tahoe from South to North, um, once the, Oh, you did the opposite way. We did it it. the, the long ways, like, um, South to North, from the south coast, south shore, yeah, to the north shore, from like from like Richardson up to Incline, yeah, that hotel okay. on Incline, um, yeah, yeah, we put in down on the south end, and okay. um, uh, you know by moonlight, and then uh, when the sun finally came up because we started at like four a.m., mm-hmm. they um, you can't see the, 
you can't see the far shore because of the curvature of the earth. You know that, <laughs> uh, Wow. I mean, that, that, like, like what you were doing, you know, it's like, it puts you in your place. Like you are just a, you are just a speck on the earth compared to what you're trying to do. And then the guys are like, okay, I go, um, one thing we were swimming due north. So my watch had a compass on it. So anytime I wanted to look at my watch and see which way we needed to go. And I put a GPS point in it. Um, I could tell how many miles I had left to go, right? Oh, uh, I because asking the crew on that. <laughs> yeah, the crew on the boat, you know, sometimes they they there's a strategy in marathon swimming where they lie to you on purpose. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, so I was like, they can lie to me all all they want. I know which I know how many I know I've got you know ten miles to go or three miles to go or whatever. And then um, what was the other thing? Oh, and they go, okay, um, you see that mountain peak? over there and i go yeah and mm-hmm. they go do you see that one to the right of it over there and i'm like yeah okay okay the saddle in the middle of that if you come down straight down between those two that's where we're headed and so like it's a destination you know what i mean yeah. it's like your mission is to kind of go somewhere and i bet when you were swimming in like you had something to sight on right because of the mountains or was it already dark or what no uh you're talking about uh across catalina yeah yeah, and that that was actually something that was in a way kind of tough because once it was a really really clear day, mm-hmm. and so, you know, from eight nine miles out, you could see shore. Yeah, it makes you mad. And yeah, I mean, I had that <laughs> at the top when I did the Tahoe crossing over the summer. Same thing. I was like, oh, the shore's right there. Mm-hmm. Never having swam that far before. Right. The shore being right there was still five miles away. Yeah. Um, so at least I had that experience to know that, okay, it, it looks close, but it's not even. And, and this is like, that's a good example of where I feel like maybe Dan, like I feel bad for Dan cause, um, I, at times I was just a little bit short with him. Like mm-hmm. what, what, like he was trying really hard to be encouraging mm-hmm. at one point he's, we got to, I think we got like nine miles in Yeah, and he's like, man, you're, you're doing great. You're nine miles in, you're, you're, you're halfway there. And I said, well, it's, we're not halfway. <laughs> and I said it to him that way, and he's yeah. like, "Well, you're almost halfway." I'm like, "Yeah, but we're not. We're yeah. not halfway. Almost we're like when a, it's when we're like almost. we're like a we're like more like a third of the way yeah. in my mind because I knew also it's not 21 miles, even mm-hmm. though that's straight as an arrow. Yeah. I knew it was going to end up being like 23 or 24. Yeah. It ended up being almost 24, and that's one of the. I was like looking back, I'm like, "Oh, poor Dan. Here he is, like trying to be encouraging. He's got me in the water. He wants me to, you know, okay. feel good, and I'm throwing real like real out reality on him." Um, when you're like, no, no. in open water swimming, when you're off by a few miles, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I knew, I mean, yeah. and I knew that was the other thing. Like yeah. we, cause then we got to, then we got to like, like the true half point. And even then I was, I, I knew mentally that's uh, and even there. physically we weren't, weren't even close to half. Yeah. I like, I knew in my mind, like once I get to 15 miles, then I can start thinking about the second half, you know, so to right. speak. And then, then it was just half life from there. It's like, okay, we got, you know, eight to go. Let me get down to, you know, five or six. And then we get to six to go. Let me get down to three. And then yeah. you're just, I went from feeding every 30 minutes to every 20 minutes, to every 15 minutes. Yeah. And then, then I'm doing the math in my head. You know, because by, by the time we're getting close to shore, they had they were right next to me on the boat. They could do the, they knew exactly how far I'd gone, and I was going, you know, in 15 minutes, I was doing like you know, 
two tenths of a mile or something because of the the waves and the currents and i'm just like oh this is depressing mm-hmm. you know you go from like 1.2 to one mile from one mile to 0.8 miles and i've been swimming for 30 minutes because mm-hmm. i'm like in in my head if i'm back in the pool that's a mile easy yeah right just doing laps but here it is less than half a mile out here and i'm tired and i'm yeah. hungry and i just want to be finished do you know so, um well like uh getting cranky is like part of it especially yeah. open water swimming apparently do you know um that the real starkey guy that he became famous on twitter for what, what his breakout tweet was um about ultraman and uh, oh really yeah he said ultraman where a bunch of vegans get together and yell at their spouses <laughs> yeah you know i i i had that experience and this is something like this is one of the things that my wife and I talk about a lot in terms of the, like when we do these things, like, yeah. and I say we, because it is a we, yeah. um, the second Iron Man I did, there was a moment where I, I yelled at her and it was completely inappropriate. And, um, I'm just, I'm still embarrassed yeah. by that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm embarrassed for her that she had to like have me yell at her in front of other people. Right. And it was for the dumbest thing. And it's just like, I have a lot of regret about that moment. And yeah. since that moment, I was like, you know, we've done another Ironman since then. We've done a lot of other stuff. And mm. Uberman, so one of the things that was different for us, as I understand, versus the other competitors, is like, for me, I want it. I like, I put this constraint on myself in mm. that I say it's a constraint, it's just a choice. I wanted my family to be there yeah, to experience it with me because I didn't want it to be, for a couple of reasons, I didn't want it to be one of these things like going to outer space and coming back and like, how was it? It was really cool. Here are the pictures. Yeah. Uh, I wanted yeah. them to be part of that because I knew we were going to see parts of the world that. Mm-hmm. We might not ever get a chance to see again. Yeah. Um, if things went well, I wanted to be there to celebrate. If things went badly, I would want them to be there. And um, so, for that perp, like with that choice, mm. we it was like truly a an event for all of us. It was, right. you know, my son wasn't on the boat for safety. He's only five. He was mm-hmm. four at the time. We didn't want him on the boat, but um, he was in the RV hanging out with him and my sister, my wife and my sister, and. Yeah. Uh, he was in the desert hanging out, love Death Valley, and it just having them around was a huge boost for me. Um, and it also made things tough because you know you're not worrying about just yourself. I know, like Dan and you had talked about it being, you know, just one with nature, and you're out there, and yeah, you could do that maybe if it's a small crew or it is self-supported. For me, I chose to make it mm-hmm. a family expedition and adventure, and and that's one of the reasons I kind of ended. When I did, there's a good video on my my website about this where my wife happened to be taking a video when I decided to call it quits on the run. We were yeah. about 38 miles in, and I just was looking around, and I just said, I, I just can't think of a good reason to go another mile. And there's this really like weird feeling, like a positively weird feeling of yeah. at, my buddy Tim had driven from Las Vegas. He's a really close friend since high school. My wife, his sister, my son were all there, and it's just like this, I don't know, it was a... Uh, you're out in the desert and I swear we weren't taking peyote or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it was just like, uh, this feeling of completeness. Like this is like a set, like a circle of people that I love so much mm-hmm. and they have experienced this with me and they've supported me unequivocally over the last months and years, even to get to that point. And I wanted, to, I, I didn't want it to end in a negative way. I, I, and I, and maybe like, and I was, I felt some regret even listening to your, your conversation with Dan, I'm like, ah, maybe I could have done more. Or, like, yeah. We talked about the planning. Uh, what if I had a plan differently? 
you know, maybe I could have completed the race in seven days instead of eight, like Giorgio. And then I could have said I'd done the whole thing faster than anybody. And yeah, but on the other hand, I'm like, it was such an adventure. And we left, we, we look back on that and we, we there's no negative. Yeah. Moments. That's a big indicator right there. And I was just like, that yeah. makes me feel so good about the experience. Even though, even if there's a sense of incompleteness for me personally, mm-hmm. I know as a whole for all of us, it was a, it's something that we, we'll always look back on. And, um, and that's maybe one of the reasons why I mean, I don't want to go back and do it again because it's never, it's never the same. That's true. The second time I saw that video and I, that I'm never going to forget it. It's one of my favorite videos about endurance sports that I've ever seen because, okay, I haven't seen it in a while. So I'm going to tell you what stuck in my mind and and like how my mind has probably warped it to fit what I like. (laughs) You know, you have your memories (laughs) always kind of change. So you're standing in the desert, and I forgot how many miles you've gone. You've gone a substantial about, dif- distance. About, about 38, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it might be in the 30s. And then, which out there is hell. And <laughs> and um, you're standing next to the RV, and I, it was either that video or another video, because you might have posted more than one or two. And yeah, your little son is like whacking things with a stick out like a rock or yeah, a cactus yeah. out in the desert. It, well, no, I doubt a cactus. I don't think anything can grow out there. And then, and I was like, okay, my son went through that phase where like we did races and then he would just wander off and just hit things with sticks. And he's happy. You give him some matchbox totally. cars and then he's in the, totally. he's in Hot Wheels and then he's in the dirt, right? And then, and I was like, okay, that's, uh, yeah. And then, and then you, you're like, I don't know if you're leaning against the RV, but you're standing there and your wife, maybe, cause I couldn't tell who, who was who. Yeah. And, uh, uh, they're filming you and you go, yeah, yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, dude, this is the moment. This is where, where somebody goes, you know what? I've had, I'm done. Yeah. And I was like, but you're not, you're not, um, you haven't been, you haven't been beaten by the, you know, you're not beaten yeah. down by the course. There's just still so much to go. There's like another hundred miles if you wanted to run yeah. that. And it's, yeah. it looks so tough. And, and then you could tell by your, by your body language that you're cooked. And then you can tell by your, you know, was, this is the way I remember it. People need to go look at this video, see if I'm right or not. Your yeah. family doesn't go. This is the telling sign. The people with you don't go, oh, no, you can keep going, right? Yeah. Instead, they go, okay, (laughs) (laughs) which which is a sign that because they've been there the whole time. As a viewer of this video, you haven't seen the past 10, 12 hours of of an athlete, right? And then like all the time. Just that day. Yeah. And we were even joking like they they had to super glue my feet just to get me to run. Yeah. Because of the lacerations from the – yeah, the swim you, like I, I was just yeah. When your crew the, goes, yeah, okay, then that's that tells you that yeah, you're making. The that's right. right. I had this feel. I'm like, and, and I know they would have continued to support me, and they would have gone on, and and all those things. But that was just like this this moment where I felt like mm-hmm. you know, I could go another four or ten or twenty or fifty miles. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, the risk that things could go sideways mm-hmm. or is there now yeah it's no longer the fun thing we're not we're not it's like it's like oh this is cool we're in the desert yeah. it's getting to be work and i just asked so much of everyone over the last days mm-hmm. and weeks and months yeah just to get to that point and uh 
I, you know, it just it just felt like it was the right time. And mm-hmm. you know, the one guy, Tim, who was there as my high school buddy, um, I, I still need to thank him for this because he did something that I don't know if he'd meant to do it, but he did it. He asked me twice. He's like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. He was like the one guy who was like, yeah. I'm just making sure that you're sure. Yeah. And I, I look back at that video and the way he did that um, meant a lot to me because I think he knew it was his job to make sure I wasn't making a decision that I would regret. Yeah, now I remember that too. You That, that was what was so interesting about that video is the length of time, right? You like really yeah. thought about it. Oh, you yeah. know? And because once you quit... And with this race, you know, it's not like it's not like such an official race where if you come off the course, you know, and take yeah. a break or, you know, somebody hands you a water bottle, you're out or something like that. Like you could step away for a little bit and then come back. But I knew I knew as soon as I said, that's it. That was yeah. it. You like, know, you're, some things you're just are final. your whole body. Because people got to start packing up and heading home if you say yeah. it's it. So it's 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 over at that yeah. point. Yeah, that's a that's a really um, that's a really cool video for people to see of how to how to how to quit something ahead before things go really bad because <laughs> people don't see i have i've personally been on the bad end of i was running when it was too hot in a long race uh i was trying to redo a, a hundred miler and go faster um years later after my my first one and then um it, it was a lot hotter and i got uh, i started getting sick on the run and then i mm. had um i was puking and then I kept going, you know, for another 10, 15, 20 miles. I don't remember now. But I made it about 50 miles. But I've been puking since mile 30 or something. And um, my body was falling apart. And then yeah. two days later when they, when um, my wife, she's a nurse, and she was like, you know what? I still think we need to go to the hospital and get you checked out. Um, they did the rhabdomyolysis count. Oh man. And it was still off the charts. And they were like, Oh my God, you were really messed up, huh? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> and they said, um, uh, we went in there because my wife said, You need IV bags. And uh I said I said, Okay, whatever, you know. And then um the the uh hospital staff, I don't remember if it was a doctor or a nurse, said, Oh, you look fine. And what they're not used to seeing is endurance athletes, right? We yeah. Look, we're so used to beating ourselves into the ground that we look fine, even though we're really messed up. And uh, they did a um, they did a test, you know, your hydrate some sort of hydration test, and then um, came back and after telling me there was no way I needed IV bags, I look fine and stuff like that. They came back and quietly hung up two IV bags. <laughs> yeah, and this was two days that, later. You know, right? That's that's yeah. so funny because we got back. So as soon as I quit, we got back to the hotel. I had some tendon. I had ten, I didn't know what it was, but I had tendonitis on one of my feet from the swim, and mm-hmm. it just completely blew up like elephantitis. Oh, okay. um, and it was like my body shut, like deciding, like, oh, okay, we're done. Cool. Now I'm gonna make you feel this. <laughs> and uh, so, and then with the cuts, and then uh, Dan had mentioned this. I had really bad cuts. I still have scar. I actually have scars on my body from the wetsuit. Um, yeah. Because I got really bad cuts, even though I used a ton of you know lube and stuff. So um, where so was that on your did, neck or arms? It was or? on my shoulders, mostly yeah. my shoulders and my neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we decided, like, look, let's let's at least go down to like urgent care or something, just get these things checked out. And the same thing, like, the doctor went to see me, and I said, well, you know, I got this thing on my foot, and 
and he's looking at my feet and he looks at me and he goes, what happened to your neck? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, oh, that, yeah, I was, well, I was wearing a wetsuit. He goes, you, what happened? And I was like, I was in the water swimming and he said, well, where are you swimming? I was like, oh, down in LA and I cut myself. Well, like, were you surfing? I said, well, I was swimming from Catalina Island Mm -hmm. back to shore. And he goes, that's kind of a long way, isn't it? And so he was like piecing it together and he said my, and then he started laughing. He's like, my partner does, um, med- medical help at the Western States and oh, said she, yeah. she sees this stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, so I had tendonitis on my foot and on my wrist and he was like playing around with my wrist and my wrist was squeaking. So as he is like, yeah, my hand I've right down, too. my wrist would squeak yeah. and he goes, he goes, uh, so he said, I want to do a test on the cuts to make sure they're not infected. Yeah. And I want to do, um, what is the thing with the scanner? Um, uh, not an X-ray, but uh, an MRI. Yeah. So I want to do an MRI on your wrist just because I'm curious. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never seen that. I've never seen that before. So to your point, yeah, that, that I a had lot that of times, too. They're After- they're used to seeing people that got hit in the head with a brick or something in the ER. They're not used to seeing people do weird yeah, self inflicted. Yeah, it's like, it's like you hit yourself in the head with the. Well, that's what I think he thought when he saw my neck. He was yeah. like, did you try to hang yourself or something here? I mean, like, what oh, are you doing? Because yeah. I had really, really bad cuts. They probably look like rope burn. I've had bad cuts they on my did. neck from the They did. Too. I had like five or six. They did look like rope burns. And I've got also nasty pictures of those. I didn't oh. post those on the and website. And then when you but... get on the bike or you're on the run and you're sweating and that salty sweat gets in it while oh, yeah. you're trying – the pain. So tell me, tell me about your wrist because I've never met anybody else that had the same problem that I did. So the day yeah, after just, Tahoe, because south to north was 22 miles. It was like what you're talking about, right? It just wasn't salt water. And so my wrists for weeks were squeaky. I, I would hold them up to people. I go, here. And like I would twist my wrist front and back to somebody's ear. And you could hear this. Ear, ear, yeah. Ear, ear, like yeah, that. that's exactly and what it was. And um, that's tendonitis? I thought, it was, I thought it was like gout or something like that. I don't know. Um, what did he see on so, the MRI? I don't know. He didn't, he didn't tell me, oh. but he's just said it's tendonitis. So you, there's something that, uh, that you said that I just want to thank you for Brett. And uh-huh. then I, I'm going to, I'm going to jump off. Oh, okay. I got to go pick up, I got to go pick up. It's a pad tide night cheat day here at the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um Saturday night. about, about what you saw in the video uh-huh. and telling me that it's, a, it's, it was a good thing to see you know, somebody at the end of the race to, to make that right decision because I, I had a really hard time with that. Um, you know, not necessarily the days after the weeks after, cause I felt mm-hmm. really content, but the farther I get away from the event and I think about it again, I'm like, ah, should I have done more? Could I have gone longer? And all those things. And, and I know at the moment that was the right decision and it still yeah. is and always will be the right decision for you to like, not, you don't even know me, but you yeah. see that. That makes me feel really, really good, and I, oh, good. I appreciate you telling me that. Yeah. Um, well, it's like that does that. a lot for me personally to to deal with that sort of feeling of incompleteness that I think all of us have. No, you know, and yeah, if you can do. leave something there to help other people, that kind of completes it, right? That makes it feel yeah. like you got something out. Yeah, the um, so many races, all you see is people finishing. You know, and you hear these glory stories of people you know, yeah. toughing it out and stuff. What we don't see is when people don't make it and um, they end up with permanent injuries or uh, really damaging themselves. 
Well, and, and, you know, not making it is, it's okay. It's like, that's right. the thing that I, I had to get to. And I, I start like you mentioned my website, people can go check out go farther dot mm-hmm. today. It's go farther dot today. Yeah. Um, or there's a Facebook page, go farther today. And that's the thing that I realized, like looking back, I'm like, if I would have like, there's these arbitrary goals that were set up for us, swim this distance, run that distance, bike this distance, run that distance. Mm-hmm. Right. If I would have just not told anybody what the goal was, but then come back from that and said, Hey everyone, guess what? I swam 23 miles. I biked 140. I ran 38. Mm-hmm. People were like, Holy shit. That's freaking awesome. Right. But when you compare it to what, whatever arbitrary goal it is, whether it's an Ironman or a half marathon or a 10 K it's like, it feels like you didn't complete something, but you completed a lot. Yeah. And I think it's so, so important that we all like appreciate it's, it's the, it's not even so much the race day. It's the process. It's the, the work we put in, it's the journey that goes into, it's the discipline that gives you the freedom to do these things. It's, it's making decisions with your spouse or your partner or your family. It's, mm-hmm. it's enjoying these moments. It's going like just going to the places like Catalina Island and Death Valley and yeah. Mojave Desert that I've never seen before in my life, even though I've been in California for 15 years. Right. Like these are all the things of the journey that for me, I think it's so important for people to understand. And, and it's one of the things that's sort of become a personal mission outside of my work to help people understand these things and how they can do more things, how they can go farther, which is why I came up with that, right. that little tagline. Yeah, the, And I just uh, hope more people appreciate that because we are, a lot of us are these type A's. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, I didn't break 12 hours in the Ironman. It was a complete failure. It's like, no, man, you just spent eight hours, your, or eight months of your life doing mm-hmm. something awesome right. that inspired a lot of people and proved a lot to yourself and the people around you that you could, that you even had the discipline to even try. Right. And I think it's it's just so critically important um, that we don't get hung up on just finishing and winning. And even myself, I just told you how I felt incomplete or I didn't feel like I did enough. And it's it's hard and it's yeah. important to take a step back and remember what's important. Yeah, it's um, it's with these big ones like this, it's not and you're going into something that you're not sure if you're going to be able to finish it or not. It's it's not. It's not really the distance or anything like that. It's like, who are you? You're going to be somebody different when this is over. Yeah. And are you ready for that? Because you are, you're coming out of the, you're going to come out of the other end of this, somebody else. And that's the whole point, right? Yeah. Is leaving, you're leaving an old you behind and you're doing a whole lot of self-discovery when I, uh, and then you come out different on the other side and uh, a coworker of mine uh, asked me what, when you do a hundred or 50 mile, any ultra mile trail runs in the woods, um, what's the point? And I go, man, to go in the woods and have all day to yourself with just your brain and the trees. It's awesome. You find out a whole lot about yourself, you know, when you, when yeah, you man. Kind of I mean, just getting in the, I just remember that feeling the day before and getting in the water, the, the first couple of strokes and oh. you're just like, here, here we go, man. Dude, it's that's like, terrifying. Yeah. It's well, you got, really scary. You got to tell me how scary that was. Was that just was, like terrifying? It was really scary. I mean, it was yeah. scary for a lot of reasons. It was scary because I knew I had a five-year-old back home, a four-year-old back oh my at God, an apartment yes. with my grand, with his grandparents. And, yeah. you know, you could talk about there's no sharks, but there's sharks. I mean, Oh yeah, sharks, man. And I thought about sharks. I thought about sharks probably twelve or thirteen times, like, Mm -hmm. like, for a long time, like for five minutes, like. And there's no. It's not like the movie where you hear that dun dun 
da, da, no, da, da. They just hit you. Know, it's over. They That's just a hit great you, white you know? Yeah. And I know everyone says there's no sharks, and I know there's no sharks, but you know, it's it's you know, it's it's not the same percentage as winning a Nobel Prize or getting hit by lightning because it's it's based on situational right. statistics, not overall. And and I was just like those kinds of things. You're like, man, am I really going to do this? Yeah. And then to just do it, just that's where it's like the whole idea, just just starting, yeah, is so important in breaking through because that Cause once you get starting going, is so much more important going. than finishing. Yeah, it's so much more important than finishing. That's true. My God, I, that's still the one of the ballsiest things I've ever seen is people starting that swim. That's yeah. crazy. Well, thanks for uh, for dude. I so on. enjoyed this, man. Yeah. Thanks for uh, you. Really made me feel good about myself. Thanks for <laughs> having me on. This has been therapeutic uh, for me. You, you don't need me to do that, man. That's a, you were the one out there doing it. Um, I wish I um, was there with you. It sounds like it was fun at times. (laughs) At times. Yeah. It would have been good to have more bodies out there for sure. Yeah. But, uh, maybe next time and, uh, love to love to do it again. Or if I'm down there, you're up here, let's go for a ride or a run or something. You got it, man. All right. All right, Brett. Take it easy, buddy. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. All right, Scott, thank you for joining in on the program and giving us your insight into how Uberman went down. I really appreciate it. And let's see if my self-supported Ironman or Ultraman goes down in the fall and if we can drag him down here for that. If he feels like all that training again, we are available. Also, I've got a a tweet from Triboomer, who's my go-to buddy who's done probably the most insane stuff with me on a regular basis. <laughs> He's, he sent me a message saying, hey, let's do something. And you know that's trouble. And I said, uh, yeah, man, I'm eyeballing the Brazos 100 uh, this fall. And it's Dead Flat Trail. And in December, actually, yeah, next winter. And maybe we'll do that. So we'll see if that actually goes anywhere be kind of cool if we got a whole bunch of Zen Tribe people wanting to go do that. All right, we have all that. And before we get to the training log where I go in detail and re- and take you with me while I record uh, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, got a little bit of keto stuff in the end there. I uh, have some donations and cards and letters uh, to email or to read that came in by email. So let's go ahead and hit them. First one is Matt Craft sent in a donation. And just a quick message. He says, thanks, Brett. Uh, big fan of the show and longtime listener. By far the best Try podcast out there. And seeing how you fit your training around the busy life. Looking forward to trying Hornet Juice in my lead up to Ironman Australia in 10 weeks. We'll let you know how the HJ goes. So we call the horn juice the HJ. Regards, Matt Kraft. There are no exclamation points in this email. What is up? Come on. All right. Uh, yeah, Matt. Uh, thanks for trying out the Hornet juice. I used some of it today on a 1.5 hour long uh, bike ride. Doing a ketogenic bike ride. Bike ride. I'm recording, and right outside my uh, what the heck is that? Is that a helicopter? oh my gosh our street has a house under construction and it's just been non-stop i waited to record whenever i thought the uh the truck was gone and now another truck has showed up to load sod so i guess we're gonna have construction sounds in the background 
That's hornet juice building in your body. Well, now they turned it off. Okay. Uh, you can get hornet juice on the right side of zentrathlon.com. Quick little link right there. It's kind of purple and yellow. And it's an amino acid. It's a protein powder that uh, makes you uh, enables your body to burn body fat a little bit more. And it's really cool stuff. One packet lasts an hour and a half. So you can do a three-hour workout and only use two servings. And um, it makes you feel like a diesel engine. It's really cool. So go check it out. It's Hornet Juice on the right-hand side. Uh, when you get it through there, a uh, small percentage goes back to Zentri, to me. And you get an e email from me saying, hey, thanks for ordering Hornet Juice. And then you have my email address. And then you can send me emails like this and actually ask me questions. And I can answer them on the show. And uh, if it's if it's imperative, like you need to know right now, then I can uh, go ahead and answer them uh, right in the email right then. But anyway, yeah, that's a Hornet Juice order right there. Pretty cool. Uh, you can donate to the show on the left-hand side, uh, support the show, recurring donation, one-time donation, and it all works out the same. You've got my email address after that, and we can chat and have fun. Okay, Jonathan Woodman sent in a donation. Hun Chu. It's a regular donor. So is Katie Joe Favia, James Godek, Peter Salzen, Matthew Heinz. <laughs> Matthew, when I get your um, Matt Heinz, when I get your um, donation notice, your name when you wrote it down the first time, it's in all caps, so it's really funny. It always says Matthew Heinz, and then let's see Allison Frutos and Matthew Froese, and I have some more I need to get to. If you didn't hear your name on the show and you donated, don't worry. I've got them in the uh, in the queue. I've got to get this show out. I'm a little bit behind. And uh, yeah, so that's all good. All right. On this episode of the training log, of course, we have uh, swimming tips. Uh, like I said, some keto stuff. I take you with me running. All kinds of good stuff. And I think that's it. So let's not delay any longer and get to the good stuff. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome to the training log. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Funelli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trash. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey. We all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! All right, all right, all right. Training log. Monday the something, February 25th-ish, I believe, something like that. Oh man, I almost got hit by a dump truck. All right, leaving the pool, trying to get my act together. Emily is uh, texting me, telling me she had a great weekend. Man, I had an awesome weekend. Lots of uh, mountain biking. Oh, so much fun. Especially watching mountain bike videos on YouTube. Like people doing awesome stuff with lots of flow. And then that inspires you to uh, ride with way more flow. So it was really funny because I did a long ride, a three-hour ride on my tri-bike. Just riding around like I usually do. Actually went a little bit easier. And... Uh, pushed my seat back a little bit <clears throat> back towards the rear wheel trying to uh, figure out what's going on uh, my foot, my left foot goes um, forefoot goes numbish, starts to swell 
uh, towards the end of longer rides, or about an hour and a half in, depending on how hard I pedal. So I was going a little bit easier and also the seat back. And I noticed that um, that seemed to do it. If I get too far forward on my saddle, then I end up pointing my toes down, getting over the pedals too much. And then that uh, puts pressure on my foot, especially across the top of my foot. And then I think my, uh, my foot uh, reflexes back by going, oh, you want to put pressure on me? I'm going to swell up. <laughs> and also, um, just the pressure in general causes uh, tightness, right? Because it's pressure. And uh, then that tightness of the shoe cover across the top of the foot makes the whole foot start going a little bit numb. So pushing the seat back, I noticed, uh, pulls back the foot against the front of the shoe, the front top of the shoe. Okay, this is getting boring. All right, so I had a good ride. Anyway, three hour, 60 mile ride, and then had about an hour break before I had to uh, drive a pretty short distance, about 15 minutes, over to get Kai started on his mountain bike practice. So ride was like from 8.30 to 11.30, and then his mountain bike practice started at one. And since I'm already there and dropping him off, I ride my mountain bike. And I could tell today was the first day in a while where I was like, oh man, I'm a little tired. Because <laughs> I just did a three hour ride. Even though I uh, was going a little bit easier on purpose. And uh, let's see, uh, average 19.9. Those tri bikes are so fast, man. So fast. But I've noticed on the tri bike that I'm riding my training wheels that came with the bike. They come with 25 uh, millimeter wide, you know, training hoops, uh, rims, whatever. But they're not aero, they're just regular old road rims. But they are kind of wide and with 25 millimeter tires on them. And that's pretty cool because you definitely feel a little bit more secure in turns and in uh, potholes and crap like that, just the tiniest bit. But they are slower than aero wheels. Cause I got some old zips. I got a 404 front and an 808 rear that's actually got a disc wheel cover on it, which is the cheapest way. I will never buy a disc wheel. That is so ridiculous when you can just put a wheel cover on your um, rear wheel. And of course it was windy and all that stuff. And uh, But the, um, the difference is dramatic as far as uh, speed. I think it knocks off about a mile per hour on average a boot and hold on I gotta sip some green smoothie I'll take my green smoothie if you endure me listening to uh, listening to me drink my green smoothie I'll tell you what's in it give you some ideas mmm mmm ah two leaves of kale big handful of blueberries organic blueberries already clean and I need to switch lanes here in a second. And what else? Um, hemp powder, coconut milk, water, water. <laughs> Guy was asking me about smart water. He goes, Daddy, is smart water good? I think he's calling me dad now. Dad and mom, not mommy and daddy. Mom and dad. We're, we're at that age now, 12. And then I said, well, it's really expensive and it's no better than any other water. So actually, when I see somebody walking around with 
a bottle of smart water in their hand. I usually think they're dumb. <laughs> he looked at me because he's holding a bottle of smart water in his hand. I go, you're different because you didn't know any better. Now you just learn and now you know. And from now on, you'll know. But if you just look at it, it's just it's just water with a little bit more electrolytes. you know. And College Station water is already really salty. We have saltish uh, <clears throat> water. I guess that makes it hard water or soft water. I don't remember. But uh, I said our water is already loaded with salt, so you don't need any more electrolytes in our water. Uh, just for walking around, you know, if you're exercising, saltstick.com, then uh, then definitely you need some electrolytes, but not for our water. Anyway, so I'm uh, the difference between mountain biking and road riding. So three hours road riding, and then I go mountain biking for about an hour and a half, and I'm tired, right? So, if you're tired, you can't force it. You got to um, go with the flow and let the bike roll over stuff and use the momentum of the bike and try not to use your brakes so you can use your momentum so that you can slide through stuff. Oh, and it was a little bit wet. So, I got covered in mud and that, oh, that felt so good. And, um, Started losing control of the bike a little bit, kind of here and there in turns, and uh, it got fun. What, at one point, I was completely sideways sliding, and I slid partway into some bushes, um, but was actually in control of the bike the whole time and never uh, put my feet down. So I was balanced, sliding sideways, and recovered, uh, but I was in control the, into- the entire time, and um, then kept on pedaling you know, on my merry ass way. And, uh, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds later, I was like, whoa, that was cool. That was, if I wasn't, uh, experienced at mountain biking, I would have, um, slid out and crashed. But I actually probably, if there was a camera on me, I'd probably look pretty cool (laughs) sliding sideways on purpose, sliding and not crashing. And, oh, man, just the, we got in the car, and Kai was like, Dad, I almost wrecked, like, or he goes, I wrecked, like, all these times, like, seven times I wrecked. And I go, oh, man. And he goes, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, mount, I always say mountain biking is so good for the soul, like, so good. So I ended up getting a four-and-a-half-hour training day in yesterday. And then I ended up overeating. I was doing um, You Can. And then just a little bit of maple syrup with it, like a tablespoon per hour, maybe half a tablespoon per hour, maple syrup with it to kind of let the, you know, hold on to the water. And it was okay. I was fine, but it really wasn't enough. And uh, then I um, end up overeating carbs later, right? If you underdo it, then you uh, end up overdoing it later and of course later is not all that great oh man we went to this uh mountain bike no we went to somebody's 40th birthday and they own 250 acres out in the texas countryside and uh there were snakes mountain biking fishing in a pond beer drinking soccer ball kicking football throwing somebody got somebody got hit in the face i fell down while um going after a soccer ball but then i was holding a beer in my hand and i managed to to keep my beer from spilling, even though I, I fell for like 25 feet 
you know, like one of those stumble, fall, stumble, fall. And then uh, whatever I did, I, you know, I made sure I didn't um, spill my beer. That was pretty cool. And um, we came up with a really great story, a horror movie, because there's cows all over the place. And we're mountain biking on the cattle trail, and also there's like a four-wheeler, you know, like one of these big quads, a uh, big, big one that has seats on the back, all this crap. And um, the cows were uh, all over the place, and cows think you're going to feed them with hay, so they come up to you. They come up to the fire. I posted a picture on uh, Instagram. Zentrath on, on Instagram. Mm. And, uh, what did they do? Oh, we came up with a good horror movie story. So cows come out of the dark at the campfire and they look at you. And then you realize one of them has vertical slit pupils. You know, there's that story about, it's true, how to identify a venomous snake. Venomous Venomous means if it bites you, it injects venom in you and kills you, right? Poisonous means uh, you eat it and it kills you, right? So there's, uh, if it bites you and kills you, then it's venomous. So anyway, uh, how do I identify a venomous snake? Is if it has round pupils, it's not venomous. This is like, I'm sure there's an exception. Uh, if it has vertical slit pupils, like a cat, you know? Uh, then uh, then it's venomous. And so we came up with a story that if you see a cow, well, these people are camping, minding their own business, you know, having a good time at a party, somebody's 40th birthday party, and then one of the cows that you can see through the firelight that's hanging around the perimeter has vertical slit eyes. Bum, bum, bum. Writing prompt. Get me back with your part of the story. Hit me back. And maybe I'll read it on the air if you have like the next paragraph or two. Next chapter. That was chapter one. Give me the next chapter. Uh, my email is texafornia, T-E-X-A, texafornia. The girl with T-A-X, T-E-X-I is tired of getting emails from y'all, by the way. Anyway, the uh, re- give me the next chapter. I'll read it on the air of what happens with a venomous cow. <laughs> Try to feed it. All of a sudden it starts killing people going around. It's got dead bodies hanging from its horns. Oh, man. So this is nice. This is a nice little uh, uh, ride here. Oh, I was listening to... Oh, the, the difference between road biking and uh, mountain biking. Road biking is sustained efforts. It's really good for training you for just overall horsepower, right? Mountain biking is so technical. Um, it's really good for learning uh, bike handling skills. And at one point on my bike yesterday, on my road bike, my tri bike, I did start sliding. I don't know, some wet paint at an intersection or something like that. The back end started going out from under me a little bit, and I recovered like it was nothing. Like I didn't even think about it until after it was over. I was like, "Oh man, I think I I was sliding out and I recovered without a uh, uh, without my reflexes were so fast from all the mountain biking that." Um, I got my wheel back under me and just didn't even think about it. And I was like, holy crap, did I just slide out a little bit and pull it back in? Um, Yeah, I'm almost a W to the ERK. Oh, my green smoothie. Let's see what is in it. We've got uh, kale leaves, blueberries, hemp powder, coconut milk, a banana. Threw a banana in there. Got a Vitamix. Oh, I put a matcha powder, which is green tea. I get uh, Kiss Me Organics off of Amazon. 
and uh, put in a spoonful of matcha powder and see if that, you know, it's green tea, so it's caffeine -y. So let's see what it ends up doing to old Brett here throughout the day. I need something to motivate me to drink it. You know, I'll make a green smoothie and then I won't drink it all, even though that's the uh, thing I need to be drinking. Uh, oh my, am I here early? There's hardly any cars in the parking lot. One day I came here to work with, uh, <laughs> we had a day off. I came from swimming. I came, came to work and I was like, uh, why is everybody gone? Oh, um, remind me, note to self, I ordered the Apple uh, AirPod earphones, and we're going to see how they go, okay? Uh, they're back-ordered, so it's going to be a few weeks, six weeks, four to six weeks or something like that, but anyway, we'll see. All right, out, bang. All right, we need to mention you can. You can is a super starch. This is really cool stuff. It's a super slow acting carbohydrate, almost to the point of your body doesn't know what it's doing. It's like we're getting energy from somewhere else is happening. And it's really great for swimming. You want to go swim for an hour and not be needing to, uh, you know, take sips from a bottle on the side. You know, your coach hits you over the head with a kickboard like my coach used to do. Quit jacking around, get back in the water, quit being lazy at the wall, keep on swimming. And you can do this, especially in races, right? You're gonna do an Ironman, you're gonna be in the water for an hour, you're doing a half Ironman, you're gonna be in the water for half an hour plus. You're, uh, you're gonna be going and going and going. You don't have a chance to, to drink or, or uh, refuel out there. You can't drink out of a bottle while you're swimming. Well, you kinda can with, you can because UCAN is a very, very slow drip carbohydrate. And so it slowly releases into your system so you can kind of preload with this stuff before you're gonna do something long. It also kind of saves uh, your teeth from all that sugar, right? Because you can power this stuff down. It's actually pretty easy to drink. And then you have energy for like an hour, hour and a half from this stuff. This is really cool. So it comes in different flavors. You have chocolate. Uh, you have some stuff with some protein added in if you want that and uh, some electrolytes added in if you want that. And they also have uh, orange, tropical punch and all this different stuff, all this different stuff. And so what I do is I get up in the morning, I drink, uh, I have a little bit, a little bit of breakfast, a little tiny little bit of breakfast, some coffee. And then uh, right before I leave to go to the pool, I drink a bottle of UCAN uh, pretty quickly. And then uh, by the time I get to the pool, you Got your energy, you feel nice and good, a slow release, and it just works, man. It's really amazing, and it's actually helped me break the habit of needing uh, sugar by the side of the pool. I think I've pretty much turned around, pretty positive. I've turned around my uh, needs for uh, sugar by using UCAN. I've become much less sugar-dependent and way more uh, fat-enhanced metabolism going on, and I did it through using UCAN. Uh, the latest thing that I've done with it is um, two, well, one time I did it uh, half the swim, but my latest was I did a full swim, nonstop butterfly for one hour after drinking UCAN, 3,150 yards, nonstop, all butterfly, drinking UCAN the, uh, before I got to the pool, chocolate flavored was what I did, 
and I just swam uh, easy, smooth, and did the whole thing. It's all, I posted the workout. You can go check it out. <laughs> it was crazy. And I plan on doing it more because it was actually fun. It actually wasn't even all that hard. I just kept it easy. And you can do the same kind of stuff, a long, continuous workout, hour, hour and a half, without needing the fuel by pre-fueling with UCAN. Check it out. You go to UCAN, uh, webs UCAN's website, and they have uh, the opportunity for you to put in a discount code. If you use discount code ZENTRI, Z-E-N-T-R-I, all caps, you can get it 15% off. How about that? That's pretty cool. And then they turn around and send a little bit this way to ZENTRI itself. And man, if that's not a good advertisement for these guys, this stuff works. It's awesome. I love it. You can get a discount. You can support ZENTRI. Get on it. Get on it. Break all that sugar. Break that habit, man. Get on something that's a little bit better for you with some you can. All right, let's get back to the episode. Here we go. All right, back on the road. Let's see. We're going to talk about Apple iPhones for a minute. Wireless, waterproof. And then a little bit about this uh, individual, this girl, woman that got busted for um, running and uh, she got second place in a marathon but cheated and how somebody busted her. I have mixed feelings about it. But uh, let, me, uh, let me do this one thing. When I drive to the pool in the morning, I get irritated when somebody drives right behind me with their headlights on. I'm trying to relax on my drive into the pool. I grew up in Houston for a long time and I hate traffic. I get mad in gridlock. And so when I'm driving, I live in this tiny little country town so that uh, I don't have to deal with traffic. So when it's, when it's 5.30 in the morning and I'm driving down a highway and somebody decides to get right behind me with their headlights on, when there's all the road in the world and all the space in the world, I get mad. So I have this habit of turning my side view mirrors pointed more out and down, and also my rear view mirror kind of like uh, more um, uh, kind of off to the side so their headlights can't reflect directly into my eyes because it drives me so crazy. Anyway, so I was just fixing those. Um, so, uh, I, man, I used to be sponsored by, um, oh, I forgot the name of the company. They make uh, waterproof earphones. But what I found is I actually like um, Jaybirds. Jaybirds are my favorite uh, waterproof, sweatproof uh, headphones. And Bluetooth, they're wireless. So while you're running, I've noticed that if you have a headphone cable hanging down, it actually changes your running form a little bit because you're trying not to hit it with your hand. And also one time I got my headphones caught in the front wheel of my bike and it just ate them. <laughs> it ate the cable, just ripped them apart. And so the first time I actually saved up and bought a pair of um, Bluetooth headphones, I was blown away at how much better it is for biking and running. Uh, with uh, you know, without a cable hanging down to interfere with your uh, workout, and 
there is a downside. You're always like connect to Bluetooth and it starts connecting to everything or it won't find a connection and it's up and down and up and down. I mean, it's kind of a pain in the ass. Jaybird seem to be some of the best with that, uh, getting rid of that problem. They seem to be pretty slick, pretty smooth. And there's a version of Jaybirds that'll last like five hours or so, which is nice. And uh, what I do is I take the, uh, the cable and I, um, that connects the two sides and uh, they just stick in your ear, you know, they're in-ear Bluetooth. And I um, tuck that into the back of my visor while I'm running and then it tends to not bounce and then I'm totally uh, hands-free and don't have a, you know, problem. And it seems to be pretty nice. So when uh, Apple came out with these new AirPods, um, I'm on the fence about it because everything depends. I'm on the fence about it because they look stupid. They look the, the funniest things. They sticking out of your ears. They either look like Q-tips or they look like um, tampons. Rings. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, it's because they're white. And they would look really good if they were black. They would, they already, they have no problem selling them right now. They're back ordered. I just ordered some four to six weeks. Um, but my God, black would look so much better. I've looked into like, can you paint them? I mean, you can, but it's such a pain in the ass. You're probably going to mess it up. But uh, the main thing I was looking for is, uh, well, Apple, ear, they're the same shape as the Apple uh, regular earphones. And I like those. They're fine for me. And those stay in my ear, no problem. Um, and I found YouTube videos of people running with them. I haven't found anybody biking yet to see if they stay in your ears. Biking. Um, they're sweat proof, really, like really, really waterproof um, or water resistant. Nice, nice, nice job on that. Um, good battery life. Um, and then the thing that I really like is because they're separated. You can have just one in. And it goes back to like when you're a kid and I had these fantasies when I was a kid of having some sort of like to cheat on tests, to have like one thing in your ear, right? Well, the other thing is, uh, um, and not both, so it makes it pretty easy. But the, uh, the thing that I'm big on is at work, I'm, um, it would be really cool to have just one earphone in. They apparently work if you have just one in. And that would be rad. Hold on, let me make sure I'm recording. I gotta check. And yes. So I would really like to have um, just one earphone in. And apparently if you just have one in, then I think the other one might not be using battery. Oh, and it comes with a little case that you can put them in. And, and So anyway, my, my, my fantasy now, it's not cheating on tests, but sitting at my desk and having a uh, earphone in my ear and uh, on one side, say my right side, and then uh, I can listen to music, I can ignore other people, sort of. But anyway, I can listen to music or podcasts or whatever I'm doing and I don't have like a cable hanging down under, even the wireless headphones, right? I won't have cables hanging out from my ear. I don't, I, yeah, I'll have a tampon string hanging out of one ear, but that's it. And I'll be one of the first to have it at my job, and uh, I'll get made fun of, I'm sure. But, ooh, I'm going to catch this light. But I'm pretty excited about it. There's some cows. Hey, moo cows, what's up? 
I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I'm a little worried about riding my bike and them popping out of my ear, you know, with the wind. There, maybe I'll go ahead and buy the things while I'm waiting. Yeah, that's smart, Brett. Oh man, there's a cool old Mustang. Uh, you can buy a cable for ten bucks, I think. It's just a plastic cable that snaps to the end of um, your earphones, your iPod Airs, AirPods, whatever they're calling, and uh, connects them. There's no real wire in them. It doesn't do anything, but it does hold them together. So if one falls out, you'll have the um, the other one, and uh, they'll uh, you know it's easier to find. There's this thing like if um, if you lose one, you can make your phone play a sound. Oh, the downside is is there's no con- they need to be black and there needs to be controls on them. Apparently, if you tap them, you know you can you can make it pause. It can sense that it's been tapped. But as far as adjusting the volume up and down, they're like, oh my God, there's no controls on these things. What am I ever going to do? And then I think back, man, when I was a kid and I had a Walkman, you just reach down and adjust the volume up and down on your Walkman, your pause, uh, your your volume up, volume down. So I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. That, that I could get used to. So yeah, I guess in a, a future episode, it's going to be a while. Um, I'll be testing them out and see how fast I can kill these things with sweat. The problem around here in Texas, uh, anywhere along the Gulf Coast in the United States, it is so unbelievably hot. I mean, out of this world that um, things that other people, you know, around the United States, around the world are like, oh yeah, they're, they're sweat proof. Yeah, you think they're sweat proof, man. They are not sweatproof. They haven't suffered through real sweating. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. All right, I'll be back in just a second. All right, I'm back. I just got finished rinsing off mountain bikes. (laughs) Getting all the dirt and stuff off so they shift better. Started getting kind of crappy in the shifting area. Shifting department both Kai's and my own. It's funny, like, uh, Emily takes care of certain around the stuff, certain stuff around the house, and I take care of others, because whatever people are more into. Anyway, I, uh, the other thing I wanted to cover is talking about, um, who you are and ego and stuff influencing your actions. Um, I'm listening to an audiobook. What's it called? Let me, let me see if I can find it. And it's really good. I've just barely started it, so I can't really recommend it just yet. But I want to talk about quantum physics for just a second. Um, I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson on uh, Joe Rogan. What's the name of this audiobook? Let me look. And, oh, the audiobook is called... Stop it. It's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. <laughs> and it's just like looking at yourself a different way. Anyway, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Joe Rogan asked him, so what is what is quantum physics? Explain it. Is it this thing where, you know, light goes over here, but then you see it over there or whatever? And Neil deGrasse Tyson said, so people are blowing this way out of proportion. They're exaggerating the point. The whole point, quantum. You know how like when you quantify things? Quantify means to count. Well, quantum physics is, y'all ready? Because this is really easy. It's when things get small enough, 
that just observing them changes their behavior, you know, their position, you know, is it over here? Is it over there? Uh, for example, if something's really, really tiny, uh, well, how do you see it? Well, a photon, you have to see it by a photon of light bouncing off of it, right? And then coming to you. Well, if it's small enough, a photon of light bouncing off of it will move it. Um, do you ever notice like if you're wearing a bright yellow shirt and you're looking at a piece of white paper that your shirt is reflecting, uh, the paper seems like yellowish because uh, you're like, especially one of these highlighter yellow shirts, um, because light is bouncing off of the paper. Well, the fact of what you're wearing is changing the color, the appearance of the color of the paper, right? So you are having an effect on this. And I was thinking about this the other day, um, the observer effect, I think it's called the observer effect. And it's, there was guys, um, the other day out counting there, it was college students, I think, and they were wearing, uh, these yellow safety vests that are pretty bright. And I'm sure they put them on them, you know, you're doing a research subject and they're counting cars as they go through an intersection. They're probably counting how many people run the left light, the, uh, the light when turning left at this one intersection and, uh, you know, just observing it and counting it. And well, the, <laughs> the fact is, is wearing yellow, two guys wearing yellow vests on the corner is going to reduce the number of people running the light, right? Because you're going to be like, oh, what are those people doing? They're watching me. You know, it's just like you can put a, um, this is a proven thing. You can put a cardboard cutout of a cop or put a, a cop car with nobody in it at an intersection or in front of a store and the robberies and theft uh, go down big time, right? Because people just feel like there's a cop there. They feel like they're being watched. And um, so you can change the behavior in a um, in lots of things. And so it affects the quantification. Quant is where you count, where you uh, quantify, measure. And so quantum physics is a level of physics that's so small where, where items are so small that simply measuring them uh, can change where they are. They can be anywhere, but when you look, they got to be somewhere. So you looking uh, puts them over there, puts an electron over there. But if you look over there, well, then it's over there, right? Well, it's got to be somewhere. <laughs> so you looking at it, like, actually changes it. Uh, it's pretty wild stuff, actually, because they can pair... Um, I don't know what they pair together, uh, uh, nuclear, um, piece. I don't know what, what it was with the smallest piece it was a quark or something like that. But anyway, they can, uh, they can pair them together. They can link them, tie them together. And then if they separate them, they flip the polarity of one, it flips the polarity of the other because they're linked, even though they could be on the opposite sides of a room or opposite sides of the earth. That's uh, really weird that things that aren't touching uh, somehow you can sync them up and then uh, flip them. And you're like, well, what's the point of that? Well, imagine if you got that science down to the point of where by your hands you put a shifter for your bike and you pushing that lever pushes the lever on the back of your bike to shift the gears, right? That's, what, that's the kind of thing, thing they're thinking of is like on Earth, you could operate a drill and in space, it operates the same drill because it's made out of paired material, um, and you could be uh, operating a um, a drill in space instead of sending somebody up there to do it. All kinds of crazy crap like that. It's pretty neat. But the uh, the book, 
quitting being yourself or whatever I call it is interesting because they're like who you are is uh, which is a measurable thing you know what what you're what you're doing you know the things you own and the things you do the things you eat uh, the amount of success the amount of money and all that stuff that you have those things are all quantifiable are actually uh, derived created over time by your perception which is very true of um, what you should be and what you should be doing and what you are. And one, um, if you start with the second one of uh, the mindset, then you can affect the output. And it's kind of like that wishful thinking stuff, whatever that, the secret. But um, it is very true. Um, I w- my mom was a college counselor and she said that um, what you do with kids when they're growing up is you always talk about college as if it's something that they are, it's a certainty. When you go to college, not if, it's when. When you go to college, it'll be this, hey, let's pick out which college you're going, you're going to go to. Not what you might go to, but which one you are going to go to. Um, she kept an SAT book, SAT questions and words and things like that um, by the uh, breakfast table, by our kitchen table. And when you were bored, I'm bored. Read that book. <laughs> and uh, uh, that mindset of I'm an athlete. I'm a so you can change your mindset instead of being a short course athlete. I'm only a short course athlete. Well, that's stupid. You could be a long course athlete. Anybody can. You're actually going slower. It's just nutrition. It's not what you. It's what you eat. Everybody's pretty much the same. So it's very engineering uh, capable. Um, your top end speed is what's more limited by genetics, probably. So, uh, what you do, uh, I'm not, a, oh, that one, that episode where I went on a rant, I love that one. Uh, I'm not a morning person, right? No, you could be a morning person. You don't have to not be a morning person. Anyway, it's all mindset, and your mindset, the observer, right, can affect what you think you're looking at, and the way you think in your mind can, over time, affect uh, your output in real life. This whole, man, I love this stuff where it's the, um, if you come from a mindset of um, abundance and that you can work and become better instead of the, uh, it's called the fixed mindset versus the, it's not scalable, but fixed mindset is where you just think you are something and the world is a certain way um, and you can't change things. And um, the, oh, I forgot the other one. The other mindset is where you view the world as um, you view yourself as somebody that. Um, oh, so like somebody goes, I could never learn Chinese. And it's like, well, of course you could. Uh, two, three billion people have learned Chinese. <laughs> of course you can learn Chinese. Just uh, you gotta you gotta work at it, and it's gonna be a little bit of work, and then you'll get there, right? Um, then obstacles, your whole life is completely different. If you view that anything is possible, it just takes work. And so raising Kai, I I read this one article that said, uh, don't tell your kid that they're smart when they get a good grade on a test. Tell them that they did great on the test and they must feel really great and congratulations, you know, all the good stuff because they worked hard, right? Then they connect work to, to getting, to gaining success. They're like, oh, if I work, then... I'll get it, right? And I've been doing that ever since Kai was born. Um, 
he got uh, 10th at that last race. And I said, uh, man, you, you worked really hard. Congratulations. All that training paid off. You got 10th. I didn't say, well, yeah, you're an awesome biker, right? Because then that's a sense of entitlement and self-identity. Um, and then if he, um, if he gets injured, then he gets all depressed or doesn't do well, he gets all depressed and wants to give up, right? So like I have my whole ego caught up in being an awesome swimmer, which is a problem because then when I broke my arm, then I don't know what to do with myself and I get all depressed and in a funk and I hate life, right? If instead I had the mindset, um, and I kind of do, I'm kind of in the gray area in between, of um, because I turned myself into a long distance swimmer. Um, I was a good short distance swimmer, but I've turned myself with lots of work into a good long distance swimmer. So I'm like, yeah, I don't have to really swim all that crazy fast. I just got to put in lots of practice and then my form will clean up and I'll get better and better and better and better. And uh, then I'll learn the pacing and then I'll become a a good long distance swimmer. So to overcome the broken arm, I just had to put in practice and figure out what works, right? And that's where we are. Okay, that was the rant out my ass. And uh, I need to go back into W to the ERK. I hope you all enjoyed that because I have no idea where all that came from. All right, ornament out, Bing. All right, let's take a break. All right, let's take a break for a minute and talk about Salt Stick. Saltstick.com slash Zentry is where you can get a discount on your own salt stick. So salt stick is electrolytes that is the same profile as what you sweat out. So if you sweat it out, that's what you actually put back in with salt stick. It's really cool. I love it that it's these capsules that you can either take whole and, uh, you know, you can do like, uh, while you're riding along, they have this dispenser that you can twist out. That's the one you see all the time. I remember uh, seeing it on Craig Alexander's bike, multiple Ironman world champion. And you can just twist out these, these uh, capsules and then pop them as you need them. And then there's also uh, the capsule, because they are capsules, you can actually open them up and tap, 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 tap out. The uh, salt, but it's not salt, it's electrolyte mix, uh, as, as, uh, as needed to make your own fuel. I love making my own fuel. I'll make a three-hour water bottle, fuel bottle. You know, it's got maltodextrin, and I could do maple syrup or honey, and, you know, just whatever I want in there. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to add some electrolyte in there. So I'll tap, tap, tap in a capsule or two or three of of a uh, salt stick and I just really like it. it when they approached us I was like yes I will definitely work with you guys to be a sponsor so you can get your own salt stick by going to saltstick.com and then forward slash zentry and that gets you in the door to get your discount and while you're in there make sure you check out these chewables I love them man they're so cool I keep them right next to my bike right now on the trainer and uh, they're kind of a citrus lemon lime flavor and you can uh, just pop one in your mouth and it breaks apart crumbles apart uh, really nice like all nice like and yeah that's a that's a big shout out to a uh, salt stick and you go check them out um, 
we should also mention that there's been studies that show that that athletes that use salt stick uh, finish races faster than their competition and we want you to do the same so go check it out all right back to the show All right, home salads. I'm here in the woods at the edge of my neighborhood. I'm about to run in. Let's see if, can you hear the, uh, are those tree frogs or crickets? Let's see if we can get close. Maybe you can hear them. Anyway, I, uh, I'm running home. I'm gonna start running here in a second. I'm right in the middle of a run. Almost done, got half a mile left. And I'm running home. My son's in Boy Scouts, and I wanted to run tonight. There's not enough time to eat dinner and run. I'll puke <laughs> and or have a crappy run, I've learned. So ate dinner, went to Boy Scouts, and Emily went too. She's on parent committee, and she's driving the car home, and I'm running home four miles. It's actually less than four. It's like less than three and a half. It's 3.3 something. And I'm adding on a little bit of section here. That's why I'm out in the woods. But it's mostly, uh, it's entirely sidewalk, bike lane, street lights. And I'm doing it a little bit to um, set the example. Uh, to be an inspiration to the boys. Uh, I was already planning on doing it. And then my nephew... Um, couldn't make it to Scouts tonight because he didn't have a ride. And he lives half a mile from my house. <laughs> and so I texted his dad, and it was too late. I said, hey, next time, this kid's super athletic. I'm like, make him ride his bike, dude. I'm running. And I've got 80 pounds on him or something. So he could uh, ride his bike. He, he already rides his bike to high school and stuff like that. So... And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But um, let's go ahead and start moving. One of the reasons I run is because somebody inspired me, you know. I, um, we got to pass this stuff down. It's kind of like the lost art of be being able to hear buffalo over the hill, you know, putting your ear to the ground or track animals. There's the lost art. I, I can't do that. But there's the lost art of freaking getting your own ass around town. By foot or by bike. You think you don't you have a don't have a car that you can't get anywhere. So a few of the boys saw me change in the bathroom. After I changed, they saw me out of my uh, scout master, assistant scout master uniform. He looked like a giant boy scout. <laughs> and into running clothes. And they go, What are you doing? I go, I'm running home. They go, You're gonna run all the way home? And I go, Yeah. It's easy, it's just a few miles. Makes you feel good. And they're gonna remember that. And I'm hoping I can keep this up because I haven't been able to work out Monday nights because that's when we have scouts. But if I, ooh, mud, mud, mud. Oh, it's dry, it's not bad. If I make a habit, if I become the person that runs home from the scout meetings, Oh, oh, Mr. Blainer runs home every meeting. He ran, he ran home every meeting. And then when these other kids are stuck, 
they got a backpack this summer, like 50 to 100 miles, you know? And a lot of these kids now are fat, out of shape. They don't do anything. And they see, they want to get fit and healthy. It crosses their mind. They can point to an example that they saw. Old Mr. Old Man Blankner signed off on canoeing merit badge <laughs> for 10 different kids and then threw on his running gear and ran home like a badass. Anyway, and Kai had his bike. Kai was going to bike home with me, but he wanted to get home and uh, get some, he has homework to study for him. Anyway, I'm running in a, uh, I've started running in cotton shirts. Like real thin, right? The cotton shirts I grew up with were always thick and heavy. Of course they chafe. But I was listening to an interview with Gordon Ainsley who invented, literally, literally invented the Western States 100. It used to be a horse race. His horse quit, so he ran <laughs> the rest of the way. Uh, a year or two ago, he was doing an interview and said he was into running with uh, these real thin cotton t-shirts you can get now. You got a tight-fitting one. They actually are really comfortable. Don't chafe. I know I never run really far with one, so I can't promise. But they shed water, so they cool because they're not thick enough to hold water very much. And then you got all these different patterns and colors. I'm wearing one right now that's light blue with the white at at. Imperial Walker on the front. <laughs> it's a Star Wars one. It's like the engineering drawing of an AT-AT from Empire Strikes Back and the newest movie. <sighs> Man, this is nice. I'm almost home. Did I hit four miles yet? Ooh, 3.94. Let's see what the Sunto Spartan Ultra sounds like when it ticks over. Do I have to set to miles or minutes? I don't remember. Man, there was something else I was going to talk about, too. But you're just running with me. This is cool. Oh, I've got new shoes. Adidas Boost STs. Adidas Boost Ultras. Super comfy. not going to beat. Alright, now I'm at my house. Let's, uh... These are really, really, really expensive shoes. They're 180 bucks, which is way too much money. But, the fact is, you can wear them easily three times as long as other shoes. So you cut that down by three, what is that? 60 bucks 
and I got them through Roadrunner Sports, where um, you can send them back if they don't fit, even after you've run in them forever, if you sign up for the VIP thing. So I got the blue ones. Printing that acid. There's a car stalking me over there. Yo, what's up? Lurking. And <laughs> we were driving the scouts because we drove there. And I told Kai, I said uh, something about the Jaren needed to bike or run there. There's no excuse not to miss the meeting. You know, you only have so many meetings and then you don't get your Eagle Scout. And because you have to do it by age, by your 18th birthday. Oh, I can see. <coughs> but uh, let's listen to the water pouring into it. We're doing a, sound a soundscape. It's water rolling into a gutter. Hold on. And. Uh, told Kai, I said, uh, you're going to hear a whole lot more of this from me about riding your happy ass there on your bike. <laughs> He's like, him and he and Emily, him and Emily. I said, what? What are you talking about? I said, dude, when you're 14, 15 years old and you, or even 16, 17, you don't have a driver's license or you don't have a car at the moment, you better not ask me to drive you somewhere. I'm going to say, get your happy ass on your bicycle and pedal over there, dude. Not only that, I'm hoping that you want to do that. I know it won't be cool and all that, but if you have a cool bike, it's cool. Sort of. I know. I know. Bikes just aren't cool at a certain age bracket. Then all of a sudden, they're super cool again. If you're friends with people that think bikes are cool, then all of a sudden, they're cool. So you can always do that. And I'm following um, Triathlon Taren's little advice to help me get over my injury. He didn't give me the advice. I was just listening and tried, decided to try something he's already doing himself, which is run almost every day, but just run fewer miles. So I'm doing um, four miles today. Cutting it back down to four, four and a half every day. Seeing if that is easier than doing six, six and a half every other day. Trying to work my way back up. Dude, I cut back on my running. Running is hard, man, to get back into. I'm barely making a 10-minute mile sometimes. And uh, before I got injured, I was doing very low eight, sometimes a high seven. Oh, okay, I'm at the door. Let's go on in. Let's see what's happening. Oh, my God, I'm locked out. Zoe. Housekeeping, you need first house, please? You need this as housekeeping? You need first house? Who is it? What's the password? Password is housekeeping, first house, please? No, no. You don't have a password? No, no password. Okay. Let's see if Zoe approves. I guess I'll, I'll let you in, Daddy. I guess. <laughs> this is our fear, fearless watchdog. Where's Kai? He just went to bed. 
He went to bed? Did he get a studying in he was so worried about? Oh, and here's our cat. We're on a podcast right now. That was the cat sniffing. Yes. All right. Four miles, Bay. All right. You're so impressed, I know. I'm so impressed. All right, everybody. I think we have here your moment of zen for the podcast. Every podcast I try to put forth, invoke, I don't know the word, a little bit of um, zen that works. (laughs) I should write a book called that. Zen that works. Uh, It's, you know, timeless. But figuring out how to apply it to modern society is always interesting. Just when you think it's out of date, it actually works even better than before. So I was listening to... I was listening to some kind of productivity show. Maybe it was the Productivity Show. Or Asian Productivity Podcast. It's pretty good, too. Anyway, and they were saying something to try is do things as slowly as possible. And it was just an offhanded comment. And, you know, when you do things really slowly, then you can get, uh, you can really enjoy them. Stuff like that. That's not my point. My point is, I tried it. And I realized something that's even cooler is I think the biggest problem in the world is procrastination. If you got done the things that you actually wanted to get done and that you could do, you just don't feel like doing it, then uh, your life would be completely different. The world would be a different place. Everything would be so much better on and on. So procrastination is one of the biggest problems. And it's the thing that makes you feel bad, too. So if you felt better because you weren't procrastinating, then wouldn't that be nice as well? And I realized a little trick. There's there's all kinds of reasons to procrastinate. Uh, one of them is you're not clear on what you really need to do. Uh, one is you're not, you don't like the, uh, the goal. There doesn't seem to be a goal or the goal doesn't align with your own morals. Let's say you're majorly against um, war and one of your tasks is to write a paper about war. <laughs> you know, you're going to put it off because you're not really that into it. you find something else better to do. Uh, yeah, so we have all that. Anyway, what I tried was when there's a task that you need to do but you don't want to do it so procrastination is willfully not doing something it's knowing you need to do something and it's the thing you need to be doing right now and then doing something else instead which is makes you miserable by the way but we do it uh, one of the strategies you can use is say okay I'm going to do this thing but I'm going to do it as slowly as I possibly can and What I've noticed is uh, two, three really interesting things. We'll see by the end of this if I remember all three. Uh, one is that oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna change lanes here. One is that 
it gives you a sense of control over the thing. Is that's that's one of the really interesting things. Is uh, you know one reason we don't we we procrastinate and we don't do the thing we need to be doing is because we're not really with it. You know, it's something that we don't really like doing. But if it's something that's you have ownership over, that you have more control of, it gives you confidence. Uh, it gives you ownership, yeah, and then you can do it your way. Well, if you do it as slow as you possibly can, then you're doing it your way, right? So it gives you a sense of control. Um, let me give an example. I had to put on my work calendar that uh, I'm taking off uh, for some time this summer. And I've been putting it off and putting it off. And I really need to put it on my work calendar, but I keep finding things that are more important. But this thing is on my list and it's just annoying and I need to go do it. And so I thought, I'm going to do it as slow as I possibly can. And then immediately I noticed that I'm doing, you know, like now I'm engaged. I actually want to do it. I want to see what happens when I do it as slow as I possibly can. The second thing I noticed is the same rule of thumb that happens when running. Um, uh, so this is how it gets tied back into triathlon. And open water swimming is that... Um, Doing something as slow as you possibly can is still infinitely faster than not doing it at all. And this goes back uh, to my point of standing still. So let's say you don't, when you're trail running, swimming, you know, everything in a race, uh, Rob Gray was talking about you fuel less often on open water swimming because when you do open water swimming, you've got to stop to fuel. We're talking like big marathon swims. And going nowhere is zero miles per hour and you will stay there forever. Even going one mile per hour is infinitely faster than going zero miles per hour, right? That's why when you go through an aid station, you walk, right? You don't stand there. You don't sit down because now you're going to zero miles per hour. If you multiply zero miles per hour times a thousand hours, you're still, you still have gone nowhere. So, if, but if you multiply one mile per hour times a thousand hours, you've gone a thousand miles, right? So what you want to do is if you get just even if you're doing something as slow as you possibly can, then you're still making progress on the thing. And then you might even finish it, right? And then the third thing I've noticed, and this is the really crazy thing, is just a few minutes into doing whatever it is as slowly as I possibly can, I've forgotten about doing it as slow as I possibly can. I've totally started doing it at a normal speed, just, you know, just doing it. And that is the craziest thing is I finished putting this thing. I, and see, that's the problem. That's, that's what leads to procrastination is I got to go look up when this thing is on uh, the dates. It's actually supposed to go on the calendar. I got to figure out a timesheet code to go with it, right? So there's all these little pieces and then you're kind of like, oh, man, right? And those are kind of like hidden. You don't really think about those. And that's what's uh, slowing you down is you know deep down inside it's more complicated. You know, and there's chances to screw it up. And that's why you, uh, that's why you put it off, actually. And 
um, in some cases. Anyway, um, so I noticed a, a just dude, a minute or two at most uh, into um, putting this thing on my calendar at work. Oh, I gotta go look at two different calendars. You know, uh, blah, 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 blah. That uh, that I'm no longer like trying to see how long uh, how slow I can do it. I'm just doing it. And when I was all done, I was like, oh, it's done. And I've done this several times now, and it's really fascinating. Now you go back to the Zen part, and the Zen part is when you do thing, do something as slow as you possibly can. This is why the uh, Japanese tea ceremony is supposed to be really, really, really long, because it's not about the tea. It's about the ceremony. It's about getting, because all it is is just a simple cup of tea. That's it. But the, the, you go to, like, apparently you go to, like, school and learn how to do Japanese tea ceremony because it's very procedural. But anyway, you get lost in the procedure and then the, the, it's how you do it, not what you do, right? That gets you all into it and it ends up being the fun of everything. And then on top of that, um, life is in the details, right? It's not, it's not the, it's not really the car that you drive. It's the details about the car. It's that it's got leather trim, you know, and that it's got a pinstripe down the side and that it's got Bluetooth and adaptive cruise control. Those are all just little details, but those are the things that you actually enjoy. You don't notice the big goals, right? This is an engine that you sit on top of that propels you all the way across town. I mean, that is amazing. Absolutely amazing, right? But when... Uh, somebody asks you how your drive was into work, you don't go, man, it was crazy. Uh, gasoline went into this engine and it fired up. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm uh, shooting, I'm rocketing down the highway at 60 miles an hour and all this just, just incredible with how it's going. No, because that happens every day and that happens to everybody. The interesting thing is the detail of when you were um, when you were driving down the road that there's a new uh, bike lane painted, and then you saw this little accident over here, and you saw this and you saw that, and I'm trying to think of something. Uh, your air conditioner was running uh, a little bit wonky. You know, it's all the details that make everything nice. So anyway, your moment of zen is to practice doing things. When, when you feel like procrastinating on something, practice doing it as slowly as you possibly can. And then notice that that's really all it takes and then you get into it. Um, I'd really like to get to the point of where I can practice doing something as slowly as I possible, possibly can. <laughs> and and uh, I enjoy that part of it. Right now, it's still flying by, which was kind of unexpected. So I'm not really sure what to do with all that. But maybe next episode we'll talk about that some more. All right. Out, bang. All right. Let's take a break and mention Amrita Bars. I just had one. Where is it? Where's the wrapper? It was the chocolate maca. Maca? Maca attack. Let's see. Let me go get it right here. Because they have regular energy bars and then they have their recovery energy bars. Here it is. Oh, Amrita. Plant-based nutrition. Chocolate maca. 15 grams of protein in one bar. How about that? I have... 
I have the high protein ones after I swim. Oh man, it's such good stuff. They have all different kinds of flavors. They are non, uh, I wouldn't say non-allergenic because that's, that's like, uh, it's not the right wording, hypoallergenic. <laughs> there's no nuts. They use seeds instead for the protein. So if you have a nut allergy, there's no worries there. They are uh, vegan friendly and uh, no animal products used inside. Uh, Gluten-free, dairy-free, peanut-free, soy-free, long time, long, long time uh, sponsor of the show. Kai was in a soccer game today, drinking out of an Amrita water bottle. Speaking of the other stuff they make, they have all kinds of cool gear. And he scored two goals. Now, if you eat Amrita bars, will you score two goals in life? Probably. You never know. Got to find out. And you can find out by going to amritahealthfoods.com and using discount code ZEN2016. That's discount code ZEN2016. It's actually a really cool fuel for long rides because it's super easy to digest. And also, here's another thing. They don't freeze. A lot of bars, the competition, uses uh, stuff that will actually freeze when it gets cold. As we head into winter, Amrita bars stay soft. You can open one up and plow through it uh, nice and chewy and uh, they're date based it's really cool um, the way I eat Amrita bars when I'm biking along is I open one up and or I'll maybe pre-open one before I get going on the bike but anyway I take a bite out of it like maybe a quarter or a third of the bar in one bite and then I fold the end of the wrapper back over the rest of the bar and then I put it on uh On my quad, I stuff it up the front of my bike shorts from the uh, knee side, kind of push it up in there, and it stays flat with my quad right here, right there. And then um, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I just grab it, pull it back out, push the bar forward in the wrapper, boom, another bite, and it keeps your stomach feeling so good, super smooth, super nice. There's cardamom in it, which actually soothes the stomach. So, all right. That's it for Amrita Bars. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. Show them some love. Again, uh, discount code 2016, Zen2016 at AmritaHealthFoods.com. And also they have, like I said, a big store with all kinds of cool gear, shirts, jerseys, water bottles, fun stuff like that. Go check them out. All right, back to the episode. All right, I'm running on a uh, country road, sort of. Country road, take me home. Yeah, the time. <laughs> I know the lyrics. Okay, been having a really, really interesting day. It started off. Let's see, people are texting me on my Sunto Spartan Ultra. But the goal today was to increase my long ride on my bike. We're going to talk about ketosis, so stay tuned. This gets good. Increase my long ride on my bike. Um, My last ride was three hours. This is not new territory for me. Um, When I'm trying to increase distance and getting a long ride, what works really nice, and when I coach people, what also works really nice is... uh, Adding like five, ten minutes on the run. Adding, oh, 
15 minutes on the bike, maybe more, kind of depends. So I was on the trainer. My record on the trainer is five hours on rollers, only stopping to pee. <laughs> rollers are, are nuts. So I think my longest bike ride, 172 miles at 19 miles per hour. Whew, that was a long day. That was a wonderful day though. Got really into the zone. But I was uh, near the birds. My whole point is increasing the long bike ride. <laughs> I've done lots of long bike rides. But if you've fallen off the uh, the long bike ride habit and getting back into it, don't want to overdo it. Your body doesn't know what your brain thinks it does. And you just add a little bit here, a little bit there. And then you'll find every time, every weekend, let's say you go out for your long ride, you can add just a little bit more. Dude, 15 minutes at a time in a month, you've gone from three hours to four hours. And it's very sustainable, for example. And Zwift has um, added, I was riding around on Zwift. It was pouring rain this morning. So I didn't really want to ride outside. And it's just kind me at the house. I posted a solid video of heavy metal pizza making last night on Instagram. This is triathlon. And uh, let me switch sides of the road. So I balance out the, the wear and tear. And so I decided, oh. Three plus hours, my goal was three and a half. Look, three and a half, there was my alert. Time to take a sip of fuel every five minutes. Got fuel in one bottle, fresh water in the other. That way I can rinse it off my teeth. And keep them separate fuel starts making me sick I can just skip it just drink fresh water learn not from Jesse Stinsland and other people that's what the pros do anyway so I'm riding around Zwift and not only have they added a volcano which I think I might have talked about before which is cool because you ride through the cone of the volcano through lava inside which is awesome. But they've added um, a climb that takes about 10 minutes or so. Here comes a big diesel truck. This is Texas. All right. Four wheel drive F350 with mud tires. And that'll be somebody's daily driver. Global warming's not a problem at all. Uh, oh my god. Anyway, 
So, I rode at three hours. I was riding all over the place. There's hill climbs, mountain climbs, volcano climbs, big flat areas, downhills. And what makes it so much better than riding the trainer regular is if it's downhill in the video game, Zwift is a video game, then you can coast. So, there's a saying, you know, because you never stop pedaling. You know, an hour on the trainer is like an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half on the open road. I don't know what the ratio is. It kind of depends how hilly it is where you live. Well, with Zwift, a three-hour trainer ride is like riding three hours on the open road. And it calculates all that stuff, too. It's really cool. I love it, man. And I especially love it because I got three hours in and I wasn't really bored yet. I'm about to give you some tricks. I'm going to run on the grass a little bit here. See if I can twist my ankle, fall down, break my arm again. Oh, a breeze. <laughs> so, I'm a... Ooh, that was ugly. Didn't want to trip over that. Oh, that breeze feels good. Running with a tailwind. The tailwind's not fast enough, you overheat because then it's like no wind. So I just, it just picked up and pulled me off a little bit. So I'm running along, running along, I'm biking along, realizing I haven't gotten bored. Oh, we got people. Hold on, we're gonna pause it. Now what did happen is three hours and about three hours and 15, three hours and 18 minutes. Remember, I'm really close to my goal. My goal is three hours and 30 minutes. But I still had a little bit of time to go. And all of a sudden, bam, bam, cramps in my quads. Now, cramps in your quads cycling means you're not ready yet and I've been upping my run mileage if you got your electrolytes all in balance there's my alarm let's take a sip of fuel just a taste vinnytortorich.com <laughs> I guess anyway 
Here comes the diesel truck. Same one? Same one. This is a good country ride. Run, we got one car every 10 minutes. <laughs> every five minutes, and it's the same car. Um, so, your quads go out, bam, bam. You know what, You've, you have reached and I just pedal along easy. Yeah. You have reached your current level of fitness. That is it. And if you've reached it, I mean, that's the end. Any more is not going to be good for you. So I said, it was a tough choice, but I made the choice. I go, ah, I'm done. So I went to three hours and 20 minutes. Called it even there. That was it. So big plug to Zwift and all that. And stopping. Cool thing about a trainer is you can stop when you want. Oh, I had a flat tire. An hour in, I have latex tubes with sealant on Grand Prix 4000S. So my bike is set up racing fast that's like the fastest it's like a mile per hour difference all that and uh it's all old though and i think the latex tube just quit he goes uh i'm done f this <laughs> out drop the mic so i'm riding the train right and all of a sudden it goes Psst. and then the wheel started slipping a little bit and i think there's a little bit of sealant in the tube but good sealant is made out of latex as well and actually dries out. I'm using stands and dries out. So I was pissed, right? Because a trainer ride, you shouldn't be having flats on a trainer ride, right? That's the whole point. It's easier, <laughs> more controllable situation. So, anyway, I was like, well, if I am going to change a tube <laughs> inside with a chair and the air conditioning is definitely not a bad place to be. So, let's look at the upside. So, I did, and I decided, I had some more latex tubes, but I decided to put a butyl tube in it because I'm just tired of dealing with latex right now. They, they leak air very slowly. They're the slightest bit permeable to the nitrogen in the air, I think. Or no, the carbon dioxide, the oxygen. Whatever the smaller particle is, it leaks out. So you're always having to top them off. Always, it's really lame. Let me get off the road here, comes a car. Getting closer to a busier street. I hear some more car sounds. But anyway, pulled the latex tube out. It was all 
hardish and gummy inside. I can't even believe it was holding air at all. It's all funky. Latex had dried out in it from last year. Put a butyl in it, and then I used this new stuff called Orange Seal, I think. It's really highly rated. I'm running on the shoulder now. A bunch of cars. Don't be afraid. Have no fear. Have no fear. You look weird. It's okay. It's okay. At least you're being healthy. Anyway. I, uh, is this orange seal stuff? Because it's supposed to be better. It doesn't, um, dry out as soon. Like, it takes a couple more months or something like that. And then there's this whole thing about adding glitter to your sealant, supposedly. We'll hold the bigger holes and somebody tested it and it actually does work. I didn't do that this time. I didn't have any glitter. I'm not into being a stripper, so I don't have any glitter around. Or I'm also not a eight-year-old. <laughs> I might have some glitter somewhere that's left over from an art project. Ooh, let's take another sip of fuel. Okay, so the past few days I've been trying to get into ketosis, which is frustrating. I just peeing on the ketosis sticks. And one thing I remembered or realized was um, ketosis sticks are terrible for really seeing if you're in ketosis because what they do is they show ketones. Ketosis is where you're you're not burning carbs, you're burning body fat. I know there's way more to it than that, but man, I'm jogging slow. I'm perfect. If it's in your urine, that means it's ketones that you're not using. So I noticed, I was like, man, I'm pretty sure I'm in ketosis. Because I've done it before, like a year ago, or I don't know, maybe a couple times. And like I'd go for a run and think I'd be definitely, because I burned off all my carbs, definitely in ketosis. And then the color would be less. And I'm like, man, I've hardly eaten any carbs. And a while ago, it, the ketosis stick turns more and more purplish when you pee on it reusable and uh, why is it uh, why is it showing like none and then I remembered it's showing ketones I got left over and your ketones your body uses them as fuel so if I just if I was in had some ketones laying around you know like in the back of the garage and then for a run I'm using them so they're gone 
and then later again it started. Anyway, it started turning darker. I posted a picture on Instagram of the ketone stick being really dark-ish, medium dark. So, there was all that. And yesterday I did a bike ride in the morning, like an hour. We had busy stuff going on. Kai had two soccer games. And then I did a run in the afternoon. And then later in the day, that evening, man, I was a carbaholic. I was like, holy shit, I need to eat some carbs. This is not, whatever I'm doing is not good. So anyway, I got overate a little bit, but I was pretty low. And again, I'm kind of like the measuring method isn't all that great. And I've been high fat for a long time now, many months. So my body knows how to burn fat. So then I was out on a, um, oh, I was doing my bike ride on Zwift. And I wasn't hungry this morning. So I just had coffee with a full creamer, heavy, heavy cream and a couple cups of that. I think that was it and that was fine. So I'm on the bike doing, uh, I'm fueling with uh, about 100 calories of maltodextrin powder, which is really fast acting. And then about 100 calories of maple syrup added to that, which is a little bit less fast acting. And then some coconut milk with a theory that that fat will slow it down. The whole, um, what is that thing? The whole uh, bulletproof coffee is half of it is uh, that the fat in the coffee will uh, absorb the caffeine and it takes a long time longer for the caffeine to hit you it stretches it out and I think that's true I think I can tell and I don't do what people do in bulletproof coffee I put in six sticks of butter or dip a stick of butter in coffee and then eat that lick it <laughs> I just do like a slice of butter too but anyway was my point. I had a point. I can see my house. That's cool. Oh man, oh, it's getting all wet. Sorry about that. Let me do this. Is that better? So maybe about 50 calories from coconut oil. Coconut milk mixed in. So uh, it's 250 calories an hour, with 50 of those calories being fat to slow down the maltodextrin powder. I was doing okay, I was alright. But I was listening to several podcasts, Keith and the Girl, BBC News, and then there's another one, I can't remember what it is now. But the keto, oh, 
Let me see if I can find it. Oh, I need to walk this hill anyway, so I don't hurt myself. My plantar fasciitis. I'm training myself to walk more when it goes uphill to help preserve my feet and come on press home to unlock oh my god there you go. let me look up the name of this podcast I know I know it's beautiful podcasting hear those birds listen to them they love you I want to be your friend what is it the keto diet podcast which is hosted by this chick who is really cool but she's got this giant sunflower tattoo on her chest and uh it's kind of crazy that's how you know it's the right podcast anyway and i like listening to podcasts with a female host sorry about that but uh i'm at the top of the hill i think I can, well, i'm gonna start running in here in a second and because her voice is relaxing and calming and um Guys tend to be like real aggressive and you got to do this. You got to do the Art of Charm podcast. The way people, oh my gosh. One thing I hate when I listen to podcast interviews is when Tim Ferriss started doing this. It's so freaking annoying. Is they'll ask the guest a question. So what was your most traumatic experience in life? I mean, that's like a pretty deep question, right? Oh, there's another podcast. Uh, the one, the one you feed is another one. It's kind of a zenny podcast. And my watch just went into auto pause. And they, um, they'll say, uh, and the guest will go on about something that's you know they're getting kind of having to reach back and be like tell the truth about something that was not cool. And the host instead of saying. Oh wow, that's um, that's rough, you know. Instead of uh, sympathizing with them, empathizing and sympathizing, the host. This is an interview technique which makes you seem uh, like a good interviewer, like you're strong and and you got great questions. But man, it's annoying. You're not you're not interviewing people for a debate at uh, for the presidency, you know. So they go um, instead of. Instead of going, yeah, being sympathetic or whatever, they go right to the next question. Um, if you were to change careers, what career would you be in? Right? There's no like back and forth. It's just forth. And uh, guy hosts tend to do that to try to be aggressive. And um, it's not a, you're not develop, uh, developing a relationship with um, the guest. And uh, Rich Roll for example, is um, the person, he'll ask the question and then the person will answer and then he'll respond back that he got their point and that, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, it's nice. It's nice back and forth. So, um, anyway, long story. <laughs> nice story, bro. The Keto Podcast is, um, they had this host on or they had this guest on and the guest was really annoying because it was all... I do this, and I do that, and me, me, me. I'm sorry, but I'm just energetic. You know? And that was a woman, by the way. It was pretty funny. But uh, I've seen her video, so I knew exactly who it was whenever she started talking. I was like, I bet you I know who that is. I looked up her name on my laptop right next to my bike while I'm running, or biking. And uh, 
But the guest said something interesting. She's uh, super fit and super athletic and looks good. And uh, she used to be a professional skater, skateboarder. So if you're looking for her, it's a black chick named Stephanie Person. Anyway. Um, running downhill now. I'm jogging past the back of my house. There it goes. What happened? Um, she said that ketosis, you have to go slow to for your body to be absorbing for your enzymes, your mitochondria, to start digesting fat, to be able to use the fat. And I found that so interesting because one of the very first things I did to get faster um, when I was when I got professionally coached, the coach says, "Go slower." Now this was in 2006, so before keto stuff got big and popular. Hold on, I'll be right back. Oh wait, no, I'll stay. This was in 2006 before keto got all popular. I'll talk to you all in there. I've been running in an hour. Oh, there's a kid down the street screaming. And it's the whole thing about get your heart rate down, right? You got to get your heart rate down in the zone too. And the logic back then was not, they never really mentioned from what I can recall that it helps you burn body fat better. It just made you more efficient. And they kind of left it at that. Because I don't think people, many people really knew. And what we know now is if you go fast-ish, um, you need those carbohydrates. And especially if you're a carb burner, it's too fast and it's too stressful. Oh yeah, that, that was the thing. It's stressful. So you start running on, this is really important people. I know I've been blabbing on about a bunch of bull crap, but this is where it gets good. It's the whole point of the podcast right here. <laughs> um, going fast, faster than you're easy, creates stress. Stress creates cortisol and adrenal. Uh, it wears out. You have to use your adrenal glands to power that. That's why you can go fast when you take like caffeine. And that, the stress of going faster, um, turns off fat burning and makes you carb dependent. And when that happens, you can't practice. Um, you can't practice training your mitochondria to burn fat instead. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, I started connecting the dots. And then she went on to say, you can tell when somebody's stressed out because they crave carbs, they have a middle a fat tire around their belly, they're carrying extra body fat, and it's from the stress because, and you know, you do all that together because they're stressed, they're not burning fat, they're burning carbs, so they need to eat more carbs, so they eat carbs, which turns off the, the fat burning, which causes more stress, right? So that's why it's important. That's why you get so good at long distance sports um, by going slow to build that engine. It's really millions of little engines in you that can now use that extra um, body source fat. And I remember reading somewhere, um, it was more than a th just one person's theory, it was uh, a lot of people's theory, that people that are, say uh, there's 10 people in your neighborhood that run, your little neighborhood that run, and some of you are just naturally faster than the others, um, maybe half of that is mechanics, and the other half is how fat uh, metabolizing ready they are. So when they go, they have a whole lot more available energy to, uh, to use. So I was using that, I was thinking about that uh, the last, I don't know, hour on the bike. I was like, man, it is totally fine to slow down and go easy. And just, you know, go really, really easy. And then also um, running, um, I was running the other day, a few days ago, and the next day my feet hurt, and I noticed I was trying to go a little bit faster, but I wasn't really trying, I just noticed I was paying attention to my um, speed, my minute mile pace, and that's a mistake, you should not be doing that. Um, and I was like, I bet you that's why my feet hurt, because I can re-injure my feet if I go too hard. And so yesterday and today, just now, running, that's one of the reasons I recorded while I was running, was to slow me down and just jog. And then that gives your body, if you're trying to do the higher fat burning, go slow. And that allows your body to, um, that allows your mitochondria to see the body fat to even use it in the first place because it reduces stress it's just lower stress and you just go easy and boom that's what you got all right i'm back at the house talk to y'all later out bing all right we are leaving the pool let's go ahead and wrap up the show got a few things to tell you one i forgot my towel even though before i left i go don't forget your towel and um so I had to use a North Face fleece jacket as my towel. <laughs> They're like, uh, I go, how much does it cost to rent a towel? And they go, well, we don't rent them. You can buy them for like three bucks or something. And I'm like, uh, I'll figure it out. And I had a North Face fleece jacket and a pair, I kid you not, of old underwear, which, did I use it or not? I think I refrained from using that. And two shirts, Emily just texted me something and ooh, somebody in front of me has got their little spartan sticker on the back that's kind of cool and um i did uh i wasn't feeling it this morning we ran out of coconut milk so i used real milk 
on some heavy-duty uh, cereal that's real healthy uh, this morning before I left the house, and some you can after that. But um, the real milk started going sour in my stomach from uh, going hard, and instead of the coconut milk that I'm used to. So I had to, I think it was 18 minutes in, I backed off the pace before I puked. I go, am I gonna puke? <laughs> and so I backed off the pace and then uh, went into, I go, what, what would make this interesting from here on out? And bilateral, I decided to do bilateral for the rest of the hour. And <clears throat> bilateral, if you don't do it all the time, is uh, technique-wise, it's a little bit difficult. And I had something in my mind that was kind of fun. Um, if you're a half-decent cyclist, you can ride no hands. And then it's kind of fun to see how long you can go with no hands uh, before you have to touch the handlebars to correct yourself and not die. And um, I, I like doing that. It's kind of fun. Uh, not on a tri bike. The geometry on a tri bike has you on the seat so far forward that riding no hands is a little bit twitchy. It's not quite as fun. I'm eating an Amrita bar right here. Amrita chocolate maca, 15 grams of protein recovery bar. Oh, Emily got in some yoga this morning. That's what she's texting me. So I'm going to eat while I talk on the podcast, and y'all are just going to have to deal with it because I'm freaking dying and I need to eat. Um, oh, man. Okay. I got some water in my in my Yeti cup. Mmm. Cold water to cool down. Mmm. Oh my god, I needed that. I love chocolate. So anyway, bilateral swimming. You can pretend in your mind, associate it with reframe your uh, swim to be um, like you're riding a bike with no hand, uh, riding a bike with no hands. And how long can you go bilateral before you have to go, ah, oh, crap, I got to breathe two times on the, on the same side. You got to go to single-sided breathing just because you came off the wall and lost too much oxygen during the turn or something like that. It's kind of fun. So I'd be swimming along doing just fine for quite a while few minutes and then without thinking hey there's the blue bonnets look at that blue bonnets are out i posted a picture of some flowers yesterday uh when i was out running and somebody said we need blue bonnets they're probably from texas and not in texas anymore and miss their blue bonnets they're real pretty and anyway so i posted a picture of it sorry squirrel moment squirrel how many people with add does it take to change the light bulb Want to go ride bikes? <laughs> uh, bikes are the cure for ADD. That would make a good t-shirt. It's got, um, it says, the cure for ADD, and then it's got a pill on it, but on the pill is stamped a bicycle. Uh, maybe a unicycle. So anyway, I was, uh, oh, there was a kid riding home from school the other day with a unicycle. And I'm like, way to ensure that you will not have a date for prom, <laughs> but pretty freaking cool. As an adult, I'm like, dude, that's pretty badass. As a uh, former teenager, I'm like, oh man. But I liked it. Uh, 80s movie, Real Genius with Val Kilmer. 
um, the movie where they uh, are make, messing with lasers and stuff, and it shows that nerds can be really cool. One of the first movies. It's kind of like Weird Science, but uh, more, way more sciencey. And uh, Kai and Emily had never seen it, so I showed it to him last night. It's one of my um, favorite, favorite movies. I wanted to be just like Val Kilmer when, uh, in that movie. Because uh, he was cool and smart and sassy. Sassy molassy. Smart while being good looking and in shape. And I'm like, okay, somehow he's doing that. How can I do that? <laughs> okay, uh, I survived the swim in uh, and tallying off myself with leftover laundry, which was both uh, gross but necessary. It's always adapt and overcome, which is the motto of the U.S. Marine Corps, one of the many mottos. Um, and actually, I think it's a little bit longer than that, but it's uh, uh, when you condense it down, is adapt and overcome, adapt and overcome, which is an awesome, awesome, awesome mantra, motto. Uh, it means don't stop, just change the way you're doing it until you get there. And that is a thinking man's um, uh, motto. It means uh, it's up to you to figure out how to get there. And that's actually uh, from uh, military science, which is a thing. That's a command structure um, uh, for thinking people. It's uh, thinking soldiers for officers. Officers are allowed to, uh, they're just told the goal and some minor details and then you have, and then they have to get there. And it's take that hill. Well. <clears throat> A, uh, a somebody without critical thinking would uh, would say how it's like I don't care how <laughs> but the um, an officer would say and a marine would say um, okay uh, where's what equip what equipment do I have available? And then they'd say, "Well, you got this, that, and the other." And then they'd say, "All right, uh, where are the friendly?" So I make sure I don't kill people that are um, are uh, you know the good guys. And they'd be like, "Well, they're over here and over here." And he's like, "Okay, I'm planning on taking out this bridge and and that and bombing that runway over there. Is that a bad idea?" And then they'd go, uh, "Don't take out that bridge, but yeah, you can take out that runway." It's like, "All right, let's go." Adapt and overcome. So. When you forget your towel and go swimming, don't quit. Look through your car for stuff that will absorb water and take that in with you and don't be embarrassed. And when you're drying yourself off with uh, underwear that looks like um, it has Angry Birds on it that your wife bought for you. I mean, who who cares, right? The fact is, is you got it in your workout. And then... On top of that. Oh, I got a swim stretch for you. Mm. Well, doing that bilateral was fun. They made the swim interesting. So I, I adapted and overcame, right? I didn't quit my swim because I felt like I was going to puke. I just changed what it was about and then got it done and felt like I did something. Um, swim stretch. Lay flat on your back, put your arms up over your head like an arrow, you know, like you're pushing off the wall and your hands should be together, elbows locked straight as you can. Lay on your black, on your, lay on your black, 
lay on your back and then um, try to lay flat on the ground. You'll notice that you probably can't get the tops of your hands to lay flat on the ground behind you. It's nice if you lay on it, something padded like a carpet or a yoga mat. Anyway, you'll feel it pulling in your lats, that's under your arms, and in your triceps, and in other places, and your shoulder joints will be tight. Um, when you relax, you should be doing that. Lay on your back like that, and that'll get you flatter and flatter and flatter and more and more straight. So every time you swim, you'll swim a little bit faster because drag of trying to swim through the water as a curved shape because you can't straighten your body out. On the back, your entire back should be flat on the ground. And you're like, this is impossible. No, it's just um, choosing your habits and uh, making a habit out of, say, when you meditate, to meditate like that. Maybe they call it the swimmer's meditation, right? Aquatic meditation is uh, to lay on your back and um, with your arms up over your head like you're pushing off from a wall and you're doing two things at once. Once, which is the state of most happiness for the human brain. All right, last thing is I was in on my way to the pool this morning and then realized I was almost out of gas. And I thought, oh, this sucks. What a waste of time. I got to stop and get gas uh, for my car instead of swimming. And uh, I thought about it. And of course, I think this all the time. Of course, it's not a waste of time. You got to put gas in your car, right? That's productive. <laughs> Don't look at it like a negative thing. You're only looking at it like a negative thing like because you, um, it's interfering with something else you wanted it to do. And then I thought one way to make uh, stuff that you don't really want to do but needs to be done feel more productive is document it. Then, then you feel like you know, you're crossing off something on a checkoff list, on a to-do list that makes you uh, feel more positive about it. It kind of changes your attitude about things. And in todoist.com, which is uh, my... Um, my uh, productivity to-do list maker thing. I used to use Nosby, but I'm big on Todoist now because it allows you to do projects. And speaking of which, I have a project called uh, Nissan Xterra. And in there, I keep the details about my car. And uh, when I get off the mic here, I'm going to um, put in Todoist that I um, filled up my car with gas. And you're kind of like, well, that's stupid. You do that all the time, right? It's like, well... Yeah, but one, to make myself feel better about having to stop and cut my swim, cut into my swim time, uh, I'm putting, uh, I'm putting it, you know, in there. And then two, you never know when you're, um, you're going to go, man, how long was it since the last time I filled up my car? You don't know. At some point, I mean, that'll be useful, right? And, uh, the last thing is, uh is I got to get into work and uh, get the dorm fridge that I've got defrosting that I keep in my office to keep all my healthy food. Uh, I got a dorm fridge. Well, the uh, ice box in it um, started, <clears throat> got, got out of control. There's a big block of ice in it. And so I put it in the, uh, I put it in the bathrooms at work <laughs> this weekend on Saturday. And now I got to go get it out um, before somebody goes and uses that bathroom and that goes, what in the F is going on around here? 
Why is it Brett Storm fridge in there? And before a maintenance guy like goes and removes it, uh, most likely it's fine. I've done it before. And um, I got to set up a time for Jocelyn McCauley to be on the show because uh, she won Ironman New Zealand, and I am super stoked about that. A College Station native, and uh, I read on the news that she won, and. Um, I thought back about how she came to my house and ran with me a couple of years ago after I did my self-supported Ultraman um, without without me asking her to. She came and did that, you know, like building community kind of thing, which is super, super cool. And we ran a 10-minute mile for like three miles because my feet hurt. And uh, she was like, uh, I was really sore. And she said, um, oh, that's fine. We can run that fast. And, uh, you know. And then you know, it turns out she's a pro triathlete that probably ran a six and a half minute mile. She came from behind and and uh, won the whole freaking thing, which means she's a hell of a runner. And uh, then she's kept in touch, and so she's a really really good person. And she um, she won. I think she won Ironman Mallorca Mallorca as well. And this, this is just super cool. Um, so I tweeted, hey, uh, friend of Zentri, because uh, I try to make friends with the, uh, the people that are on the show. You know, the whole thing I was talking about, building a community and being nice, and uh, everything's relaxed. We're just chill. And I don't want you on the show unless um, you're somebody I'm really interested in and, and would want to be your friend, man. And... Uh, like Scott uh, Sambucci, at one point during the interview, he goes, yeah, man, cool dude, or something <laughs> like surfer talk a little bit. And I was like, ah, oh, awesome, man. I could totally hang out with this guy. But then um, uh, Jocelyn said, um, well, I tweeted about her and dropped her name in the tweet. And she said, thanks, Brett. Um, would love to come on the podcast to talk about it about her win and I was like oh man because I was gonna I was gonna ask her anyway but I was also like holy cow she's um she wants to talk about it on the podcast and that'll be super super cool because we can talk to her about fueling and about balancing uh training load and about pacing coming from behind for the win is all about pacing. I think she was on swim team growing up, so um, she could have gone faster in the swim. She finished the swim, um, gosh, like five minutes back off the leaders, but then they blew up, right? Um, I think they did. She, well, she passed them. And then she, I, don't, I guess she's still using it, a real interesting fuel choice, um, a brand that not too many people have heard of but it's got some interesting technology in it. So we'll find out more about that. All right, that's it, everybody. Stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. I gotta go get my fridge out of the bathroom. <laughs> Ooh, a day in the life.